Saturday, November 6th, 2021. It is BK here after a one-week hiatus. Coming at you guys back in San Diego, California. Please check out my Twitter, at Bravo Kilo Actual, and uh, look at that Instagram, at BK Actual. As we get started here, it's 10.20 a.m., getting started a little bit early. And hey, guys, before we get into the news, uh, you guys know I don't do any advertising of any kind uh, because I don't want to compromise my integrity. The only thing I rely on is you, the audience, which is why you got to go to patreon.com, search for BK Actual. And I will make an exception, though, occasionally. It's not really advertising. If one of you guys, especially when you veteran-owned companies, sends me something cool, much as the case of my man uh, Zane's Handmade, for example, out in North Carolina, sent me the cool uh, credit card carrier. Well, I got something really nice, so of course you know I'm going to give him a shout-out. And if you were following me on Instagram at BK Actual, you probably saw me flashing around uh, the Winfield Watch. That's right, and you can go to winfieldwatch.com and uh, check them out. If you didn't know who they are, it is a veteran-owned company. And this is uh, Mark over at Winfield Watch, and I really appreciate him sending me one of his watches to check out. And, uh, of course, Mark got his start while he was still living overseas. And he was just started off modding Seiko watches, which, is, as you guys probably also know, is one of my all-time favorite watches as well. And he kind of got into modding them, and then he started getting into actually creating the watches himself. He would put it, take them apart, put them back together. He got really into it. And then he started uh, partnering with all these watch industry guys to develop that Winfield watch company. And uh, they, I tell you what, they're super rugged. I've already had it in the ocean. Uh, I've had it all over in the desert. Uh, the luminescence is excellent. And it is an automatic watch. And you can get it uh, from every range from just a basic watch to a true dive watch with a rotating bezel, uh, everything else. And I got to tell you, I've had more people come up to me about this watch than a bunch. It's got this bright blue face on it. I've got the MT automatic. And it just really pops. So uh, if you guys want to, go check out Winfield Watch Company. And um, by the way, you can get a pro- you can use a promo code. It's Win Auto for a hundred bucks off. But this is also their second anniversary sale for the whole month of November, and they're offering twenty percent off everything. So pretty awesome stuff, you guys. And go check out Mark uh, and uh, support your veteran-owned companies. Can't stress that enough. They are the ones who are out there creating these handmade things, and that's who you should be supporting, in my opinion. Oh, and also, so that's uh, Winfield Watch Company. Also, next podcast, not exactly sure what day it will be, probably Thursday. What I will tell you, I'm not going to come out and say it just yet, but it's going to be at probably different times. I'm still going to do the podcast every week, but it's going to jump around a little bit because I will be traveling. And there's your little teaser right there, and I'll let you know more details about that as it comes up. Okay, is that all my announcements that I have to do? Okay, that is it, you guys. Again, check out those great veteran-owned companies like Winfield Watch, and I uh, can't thank those guys enough for sending me this uh, beautiful empty automatic watch. All right, let's go ahead and get started. <laughs> <laughs> 
And let's go to Sierra Leone. And this was breaking this morning. Where at least 98 people were killed when a tanker truck exploded on Friday night after a crash in the capital of Sierra Leone. And guess what? You guys, if you've been listening for a while, you probably know where this is going. This was a apparently a tanker truck that had crashed, and you know what's happened in the past. People come up and they start trying to collect the fuel. Yep. And they did say many of the victims were motorcycle riders, taxi drivers who have been trying to collect leaked fuel at the time of the blast. And this is in the capital of Sierra Leone, the city of Freetown. And this blast was so big, a witness said it also killed people nearby outside buildings and in vehicles. Uh, According to one official, the death toll will probably rise because more people were taken to hospitals in critical conditions. I've seen at least 100 uh, the last I checked. Sierra Leone's president is a guy named Julius Amada Bio. Bio. Uh, he said uh, he's deeply disturbed by all this. Uh, there's horrific footage. <laughs> I'm looking at a picture on Twitter right now. I mean, this is just, it just like, looks like a hellscape. There's just this massive fire that's engulfing everything. So what happened here? Well, they thought this tanker truck is thought to have been attempting a U-turn about 10 p.m. when it collided with a truck carrying sand. Then the tanker truck begins leaking fuel. Everybody starts rushing up to collect the leaking fuel, and boom. And the explosion, to make everything worse, also set fire to a nearby gas station. And uh, one witness, again, said he had counted more than 100 bodies. The fire service didn't arrive until about 30 minutes after the explosion. They saw women and children among the victims, uh, and this is, an, this is a common occurrence in Africa, and you guys have been listening. You've heard me talk about these stories before in various countries in Africa, tanker trucks or, or trains carrying fuel where people rush up to try to steal the fuel, hacking into gasoline and oil pipelines, and a spark fucking happens, and hundreds of people die. So I'm just going to say to my African brothers, it's not worth it. If you see that fuel leaking out of the truck, you would be well fucking advised to step the way the hell back and just avoid the whole thing. So that's really all we know about it, you guys. Um, there's still details coming out, and we will keep an eye on it. Now, let's uh, stay in Africa, though, and go over to Sudan. And this kind of happened last week when I was uh, taking a week off, but there's some updates. And this is the coup that happened in Sudan, and this is since the military seized power uh, back on October 25th. Now, a UN rights panel, so this is the latest on it, is pressuring Sudan over this coup. The UN is going to appoint an independent expert to monitor and report on abuses in Sudan since the military takeover. And uh, this happened at an emergency session of the Human Rights Council in Geneva. Countries from all regions condemned that coup and the Sudanese army's use of lethal force against pro-democracy demonstrators and the forced disappearance to secret locations of those ministers, politicians, lawyers, and activists. And that does include former, at least for now, Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdak. And he was detained by the military. So this occurred 
while Sudan was trying to sort of transition to democracy. And by the way, as far as landmass, Sudan is the third largest on the African continent behind Algeria and the Democratic Republic of Congo. It was trying to transition that democracy just as they emerged from decades of harsh autocratic rule. Remember, this all followed that power-sharing arrangement that civilian leaders had that had been negotiated after a popular 2019 uprising that toppled Omar Hassan al-Bashir. That was the dude who ruled Sudan for a long time. He had been seen as a dictator. He'd been wanted for years on genocide charges by the International Criminal Court. So the current military leader of Sudan is a guy named General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan. He has promised a return to that transitional government, but as of Friday, yesterday, mediation efforts by a veteran German diplomat who oversees that UN assistant uh, mission in Sudan didn't show any progress. As a matter of fact, three Sudan civilian leaders who had met with that German diplomat were reported to have been arrested on Thursday, right next to the UN mission's headquarters in Khartoum. And that pissed the UN officials off, obviously. So the Sudan military, writes the New York Times, took other actions yesterday that suggested these junta, that's a great word, leaders were trying to further strengthen their grip on the country. State television reported that the military had dissolved the boards of all state companies and agricultural products, projects. Since the coup, Military and security forces have killed at least 13 civilians and injured more than 300 because after the coup happened, the citizens of Sudan, who didn't like it, kind of came out in the streets in force, and that's when uh, those killings happen. Uh, what else about Sudan? I've got a few tabs open on them, including the original story. Remember, when Sudan's top general seized that power on the 25th, they arrested that prime minister, they imposed a state of emergency, and then they started shooting at the protesters. Um, why did they do that? Well, let me see if I can scroll down here and find some quotes from Lieutenant General Al Burhan, that military chief. Um, the internet was down, by the way, in most of the country while the coup was happening. And it's also seen, the coup, as a stinging rebuke to the Western countries that pinned hopes on Sudan's transition to democracy. The U.S. had removed Sudan from a list of state sponsors of terrorism just last year and backed a $50 billion debt relief program announced in June. In recent weeks, the Biden administration had loudly voiced its support for civilian rule in Sudan, they even sent their regional envoy, a guy named Jeffrey Feltman, did the Biden administration, to Khartoum uh, just before the coup to dissuade the military leadership from seizing power. Well, I guess that fucking didn't work because three hours after Feltman left, the general seized power. Boy, can they bumble anymore? Oh, my. It's so funny. Like, you think Sudan gives a flying crap? about the Biden administration's regional envoy. No, they're going to do what they want to do. That's all.
Oh, the White House condemned the coup, though. And they did suspend $700 million in emergency economic aid. Uh, but they just don't care. They don't care. About, I don't think they don't, don't, don't care about the money. It's not about the money. Um, what else? Let's see. The prime minister who they deposed, Hamdok, he had worked for many years for the United Nations, by the way. And uh, the arrests of Hamdok by General Al-Burhan were, uh, it, it's funny because this happened weeks before that General Burhan was supposed to surrender his position to a civilian because he led the Sovereignty Council overseeing that democratic transition. Well, he, if he had surrendered his position to a civilian, that would have put Sudan under full civilian control for the first time since 1989. Instead, he dissolved the Sovereignty Council and then said, yeah, I'm in charge. However, he did say he would press ahead with elections that he promised to hold in July 2023. Yeah, right. We'll uh, see if that happens. Seriously doubt it. And the military has their own internal divisions. There's a rivalry between General Al-Burhan and another guy named Lieutenant General Mohammed Hamdan. He's the commander of what is known as the Rapid Support Forces. That is a powerful paramilitary group accused of slaughtering many civilians in Darfur. And you guys remember that uh, massacre that had been happening. Anything else about Sudan? Yeah, they basically just lied. Oh, there's another story here about the American envoy, Jeffrey Feltman. <laughs> Fucking, this guy. Yeah, he's he can't believe he's in shock. But I went and asked them really nicely not to, th not to have a coup. I don't understand. And then they had the coup anyway. It's almost like they didn't give a flying shit what I said. Yeah, that happens. What else? Let's go to Afghanistan, where at least 25 people were killed and more than a dozen were wounded during an attack by the Islamic State on a military hospital in the Afghan capital of Kabul. This was on Tuesday of this week. There were gunfire and explosions echoing throughout the city into the afternoon. The attack included armed gunmen and at least one suicide bomber. It targeted the 400-bed Sardar Mohammed Daud Khan Military Hospital. And this is in one of Kabul's more affluent neighborhoods, where both wounded soldiers who fought for the former government and Taliban fighters were being treated. A spokesman for the Taliban, Zabahullah Muhajid, said the attack was carried out by several members of the Islamic State, including a suicide bomber who detonated his explosives at the gate to the hospital, a car full of explosives outside the hospital also exploded, wounding dozens, and several Taliban fighters were killed and wounded in the ensuing gun battle. The Islamic State Khorasan, also known as ISIS-K, did take responsibility for the attack hours later. One of the guys killed was a senior commander responsible for the Taliban's Kabul Corps. And one of the first Taliban to enter the presidential palace after the government collapsed in August. His name was Maulawi Hamdullah Rahmani. So he's a big deal. Um, one doctor here was quoted as saying the gunman walked into a ward filled with wounded Taliban fighters and just fucking executed them right in their beds. Shot them right there. And, yep, this is uh, the fall of the Western government. Uh, Western-backed government have been followed by an increase in attacks by ISIS-K all over Afghanistan. Yeah, 
This is just going to keep going on. This complex attack is going to be a headache for the Taliban. Because now they have, you know, ISIS, who's going to send in suicide bombers and armed troops entering a large crowded building full of civilians. Now, the Western-backed government dealt with such incidents by deploying commandos who were almost always supported by NATO special operations forces. Now, the Taliban, it's ironic because they've been known for carrying out those types of attacks during the last 20 years when they were the insurgents, but they don't really have, li- they don't really have any support or experience when it comes to dealing with the tables being turned on them and them having to defend against insurgents. Uh, By the way, Islamic State suicide bombings in Kabul, the northern city of Kunduz, and Kandahar have killed at least 90 people and wounded hundreds over the past several weeks. And that that military hospital, the Sardar Mohammed Military Hospital, it's been attacked repeatedly in past years by both the Islamic State and the Taliban. Yeah, and speaking of the Taliban, this is interesting. The Taliban has banned the use of foreign currencies in Afghanistan, a move that could further disrupt their economy, which, by the way, is on the brink of collapse. This is just a bad idea. The economy is obviously struggling because all the international financial interests basically took their money out after the Taliban took control. The U.S. dollar has been used widely in Afghanistan's markets. And U.S. dollars are also often used for trade in areas bordering Afghanistan's neighbors, such as Pakistan. But Taliban spokesman, the same guy, Zabahullah Mujahid, Mujahid, sorry, Mujahid, that is, that's it, that's the one. He came out and he decreed, quote, the Islamic Emirate instructs all citizens, shopkeepers, traders, businessmen, and the general public to henceforth conduct all transactions in Afghanis and strictly refrain from using foreign currency. (laughs) End quote. That is a spot-on impression, you guys. I don't know what you want from me. That's exactly what he sounds like. Well, after the Taliban, remember, seized control, Billions of dollars of Afghanistan's overseas assets, this is shit they already owned, were frozen by the U.S. Federal Reserve and central banks in Europe. So they are now calling for the release of those assets as the nation faces that severe cash crunch. Uh, Also, the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, said Afghanistan will no longer be able to access its resources, while the World Bank also halted funding for projects in the country. And the IMF had warned last month that the country's economy could shrink by 30% this year. And, by the way, Afghanistan is also suffering from a severe drought. And, by the way, they're also fucking dealing with covid So you got the COVID, you got the drought, you got ISIS blowing themselves up. I would just avoid that uh, whole general area. And then just a footnote on Afghanistan. Remember that drone strike on August 29th that killed uh, 10 Afghan civilians, including the seven children? You know, the one that we botched completely. Basically, and I know what happened. Basically, that suicide bomber at the Kabul airport blew up our Marines 
and Corman. And uh, the, the Sleepy Joe and his bumbling defense team flailed about and said, we need a target. We don't care what it is. Just get us a target and call him ISIS or the Taliban or a terrorist and uh, we'll fucking punch back. And that's what they did. They found a guy that they knew nothing about, but they were like, ah, he's suspicious. And they launched a drone. And it was, and then they claimed it was a fucking weapons manufacturer. You guys remember all the horse shit, the Pentagon spokesman, John Kirby, who should resign in disgrace, by the way. Yeah, he was shoveling that out for a while. But yeah, that's exactly what happened. They can't come around and say that, but that is what happened. Well, guess what? A Pentagon has reviewed it. And they also, by the way, found that video footage showed at least one child present two minutes before the strike was launched. This review concluded that there were multiple issues, including execution errors, confirmation bias. There you go. That's the big one. And communications breakdowns. They believed it was an Islamic State K terrorist group bomber. And at the time of the hit, the strike team was unaware of the presence of children at the targeted site. Even though footage showed at least one child. But... Guess what? Air Force Inspector General, Lieutenant General Sami Saeed said, uh, eh, there's nothing illegal here. Basically, it was just incompetence. Yes, individuals directly involved in the strike believed at the time they were targeting an imminent threat. He did not recommend sanctions for those involved, but commanders who got the full report on Monday have the option of deciding on any discipline or accountability actions. By the way, that full report was not made available to the public. Why not? Why not? That's my drone. That's my missile. I want to see that report, and I don't want any of your fucking redactions either. Get out of here with that. Yeah, they just fucking bumbled and flailed. That's all they do. But uh, there won't be any consequences for anybody. But God forbid, <laughs> you young Marines, Rangers, PJs, listen to me, God forbid you lose a fucking set of nods, uh, night vision goggles. God forbid you lose those in the woods. Yeah, pretty much end of your career right there. But, you know, launch a fucking drone strike that kills a whole family. Eh, shit happens. Let's go to Tokyo. This is a little old, but again, it's pretty fucking crazy. A man dressed in a Batman's Joker costume attacked passengers on a Tokyo train line on Sunday. Yeah, he went on a fucking stabbing spree. He stabbed at least 17. Then he started a fire. This was while many of the passengers were partygoers headed into the city center of Tokyo for Halloween. Oh, they have Halloween in Tokyo. I did not know that. But yes, one was seriously injured. Uh, sounds like the rest of them are just like cut up a little bit. And they said the suspect, who was 24 years old, after stabbing the passengers, poured a liquid resembling oil and set a fire. One witness said they thought it was a Halloween stunt. The attacker was arrested. He's being investigated on suspicion of attempted murder. His motive was not immediately known. Hmm. But a video on Twitter showed a man wearing glasses dressed in a purple suit and bright green shirt, just like the Joker, seated in an empty train, puffing on a cigarette, looking calm. And then he can be seen through the window being surrounded by law enforcement in a subsequent clip. 
Local media reported later the suspect told authorities he, quote, wanted to kill people so he could be sentenced to death, end quote. Hmm. Death by cop. Well, not exactly. Death by court, I suppose. The attack was the second involving a knife on a Tokyo train in two months, by the way. In August, you guys remember this one? The day before the Tokyo Olympics closing ceremony, a 36-year-old man stabbed 10 passengers on a commuter train in Tokyo. The suspect later told police that he wanted to attack women who looked happy. <laughs> okay, what's that tell you? Incel? Oh, I'm, I'm going incel all the way. I'm shoveling all of my chips in that case over to the incel as the main motivation. As it is, as you guys know, in all mass killings or mass attacks. And speaking of Japan... Two death row inmates in Japan are taking legal action against same-day executions. And this is, I actually did vaguely know this, but this is pretty neat. Prisoners on death row, if you didn't know in Japan, they're only notified hours before they are to be executed. And their capital punishment is conducted by hanging. See, none of this injection shit, none of this three-day three day cocktail shit. Hanging works every time. And uh, you know the their their lawyer, these two guys, have argued such short notice was extremely inhumane, because yeah, you could be on death row forever, like for years in Japan, and you never know when they're going to come up and be like, "All right, this is it, fucking get yourself together, because you're going to uh, fucking be swinging from this branch here in a few hours." And rights groups have long criticized the practice, saying it affects the mental health of prisoners. Oh, that's too bad. The prisoners filed a suit in district court in the city of Osaka in what is believed to be a first, arguing that the short notice does not give them time to file an objection. Um, a lawyer for the two death row inmates said, quote, Death row prisoners live in fear every morning that that day will be their last. End quote. That was Yutaka Ueda. And by the way, there are more than 100 people on death row in Japan, but none have been executed for nearly two years. And you know what's funny? This is a BBC.com article, British broadcasting article that I'm reading. And you can tell they're big woke and very lib media. They don't even fucking say what these two guys did in the article. You're supposed to just be like, oh, that sounds terrible. You're not, they never do, they always freaking do that. They always omit the horrific crimes that people did. They're, they're a little, as a matter of fact, the British are horrible at it. They're a little bit better in the United States, but they still, like, will, you know, whitewash it somewhat. You know, in the United States, they'll be like, uh, you know, John Smith has been on death row for 20 years for the, he he uh, he murdered a woman in 1982. What, and then, but they'll, they'll really, you know, they'll leave it very vague. And then when you look at the details, you find out that it was like a horrific beat down, you know, fucking hours of torture, fucking acid poured on her, shit like that. But at least the U.S. says what they did. They don't even bother here. All right. Let's go to um, this one. Let's go to Nigeria. We had another building collapse. This one wasn't in the U.S., so like that Florida one I covered. This was in Nigeria. Uh, at least 20 people were killed. When? A high-rise, and this is an upscale neighborhood in the commercial capital of Lagos, Nigeria, crumbled on uh, Monday afternoon this week. Uh, construction, it, it, it was the building was under construction. 
The construction had been ordered halted earlier this year after inspectors found these abnormalities. The 21-story structure had been cordoned off in June after it failed to meet structural specifications. Workers were recently allowed to resume the job on the high-rise, but the building then pancaked, is what they're describing it as, into a heap of concrete. Uh, they did not specify what problems the inspectors found that had led them to order construction halted, but they did find a guy who's the head of the Lagos State Building Control Agency who said the developer had used inferior material in the construction. He told journalists, quote, the materials he used, the reinforcement, are so terrible, end quote. <laughs> that must be pretty bad. Uh, the high-rise was one of three that were being put up by four-score homes, a Lagos-based real estate firm. And the disaster has renewed scrutiny because there has been a string of building collapses in Nigeria's financial hub in uh, recent years. So as of Tuesday, and I didn't do a update on this one, there were 20 deaths that have been confirmed in the collapse. Uh, anything else on this one? No, that's it for Nigeria. Let's keep going because I got a lot of shit to get through. Let's go to Brazil. This is pretty crazy. Uh, Brazilian police have killed 25 people accused of planning bank heists. Yeah, this was an operation they were doing in the Brazilian state of Minas Gerais. The military police said that the group had planned to attack financial institutions over the All Souls holiday. It said the operation, conducted along with federal highway police, led to seizure of weapons, including 50 cal machine guns, <laughs> rifles, explosives, and bulletproof vests. They really haven't given many other details. So I, I, I really, like, did they just, like, preemptively just kick the door in and, like, shoot everybody? Would not surprise me if you know the history of Brazilian police. But remember, those large-scale bank heists have happened in Brazil. You guys remember back in August? I remember covering this one. That was when the bank robbers armed with explosives and rifles were in Sao Paulo state and they strapped the hostages to their cars a la Bane and Batman as they made their escape. So Brazil's Brazil's fucking lit, dude. Honestly. Let's keep going here. Well, let's go to Let's go to this crazy shit. Let's come back here to the United States for a minute. And this is breaking this morning. Where the crowd surge at a Travis Scott concert has left at least eight people dead in Houston. Travis Scott is the hip-hop artist. But yeah, they say in, in, along with the eight dead, there's dozens of injured. This is part of a two-day music festival at Houston. The dead range in age from 16 years old to 23 years old. Ugh. Oh, and the Houston mayor has already come out and said there was more security at the World Series games than there was at this concert. Man, this happened after a large crowd began pushing towards the front of the stage, according to the city's fire chief. Uh, the concert was part of the Astro World Music Festival, a two-day event that began on Friday. About 50,000 people were there. On Friday night, everybody's in the back trying to rush to the front. 
At least 23 people were taken to nearby hospitals by emergency responders, adding that of those patients, 11 were in cardiac arrest. Over 300 people were treated at a field hospital at the site. Man, dude, this could be way more than eight people. And they just said it happened all at once. Um, you know, they, uh, one concert goer said she got there at 3 p.m. and she saw people already struggling to stand straight. They were so fucked up, I guess. She also said there was a lot of mob mentality going on, a lot of fighting going on, people willing to do whatever to be in line for food and merch and shit like that. They stopped the performance early. As a matter of fact, one concert goer said Travis Scott himself took pauses. He stopped his performance to point at the crowd like, hey, help those people. He did it like three times. And um, yeah, this is horrible. And, and, and as I said, Mayor Sylvester Turner, the native Houstonian, he's actually known the family of Travis Scott for years and years. So he's, uh, he's very pissed off about that. And they did say he's interested in the cardiac arrest aspect of it. He's asking what was the cause of that? Was this regular cardiac arrest or was this drug-induced cardiac arrest? I mean, you know, you're going to a music festival. <laughs> you guys have all been there. We know that drugs are uh, flowing around. So, anything else on this? I'm just, they have a live updates page from the New York Times here. And I'm just scrolling down through it. And they said, by the way, the heat. Inside the venue was brutal. One witness said it felt like it was like 100 degrees. And while it was going on, as it as this happens, Travis Scott kept the concert going. You know, you really, there's so many lights on you when you're on stage like that. You really can't tell a lot of what's going on out in the crowd. But people started passing out. And that's it. This is horrible. Yeah. Really bad. Something was different. They said the crush of the crowd was so intense it left no room to move. One person said it's like if you put your hands up, your hands are staying up. You can't even bring them back down to your sides there. So, yeah, that's that's horrible. Imagine being a young person. You go to a, like you want to go to a music festival and fucking a dozen people die around you and you're you get horribly injured. I have a. Uh, also, a uh, Daily Mail tab open. <laughs> Apparently, Ky Kylie Jenner is being slammed online because she is Travis Scott's girlfriend, I guess. I guess she's pregnant. And she shared a video panning the audience to her Instagram story, which showed an emergency vehicle trying to make its way through the crowd. <laughs> so she's getting beat up online. There was a 10-year-old at this concert? Come on. Come on. Where's, where's mom and dad? At? You can't send a 10-year-old to a concert. Is he by himself? I hope I hope the 10-year-old was not by himself, but my God, dude. You can't bring a 10-year-old to a concert like this? Wow. At least stay in the back. I don't know. Okay, let's keep going, guys. Let's go to Australia. This happened uh, kind of also while I was gone. This story about Chloe Smith. Or, I'm sorry, Cleo. Smith. This was the chick, the four-year-old girl who disappeared one night while camping with her family in a remote area of Australia. Well, she fucking disappeared. She vanished in the dead of night while camping with her family. 
Well, unbelievably, because these stories seldom turn out happy, she was found alive and well 18 days later in a locked house. She was freed after the police broke into the empty house, the same town where she and her family lived. Uh, Detectives, you can tell they were emotionally involved. They openly wept upon finding her. The police later detained a 36-year-old man and said that he had no known connection to the family. Uh, It appears to be an opportunistic kidnapping. They did say that the the detained man was not a registered sex offender. Uh, She appears to be healthy and okay. They put a picture. I'm looking at a picture of her right now in the hospital bed that the police tweeted out. This was huge news in Australia. Uh, It basically gripped the country. It led to a major search effort involving over 100 police officers, military surveillance planes. The authorities had offered a reward of $740,000 U.S. for information. And yes, it is very rare for missing children to be found alive after so long when they were taken by somebody who is not a relative. In Australia, get this number, approximately 25,000 young people are reported missing each year. And they, yeah, they they said uh, uh, they said they've never really seen it end well on this age, uh, at this you know this this many days that go by. She basically went camping on October 16th with her mother and her stepfather and her younger sister. The last time she was seen was around 1:30 a.m. when she asked her mother for a glass of water. When her mother awoke later, she noticed that the girl, along with her sleeping bag, was missing. The tent's zipper had been undone to a height that Cleo could not have reached. So there were bounty hunters coming to this area. They had hundreds and hundreds of tips. They interviewed 110 people who were at the campsite the night she disappeared. And uh, the police really uh, did a hell of a job here. I don't even... Does it say how they got to this house? Um... They didn't say how they zoomed in on the house, and I'm I'm sure that will be upcoming uh, maybe after the trial, but they don't say it in this uh, New York Times article. But basically, they were probably just going house to house. It it got that big. And by the way, another example they had was um, in September. This last September, a three-year-old Australian boy named Anthony Elphalak was found safe after he vanished in New South Wales, and that spurred an extensive three-day search. So, yeah, very unusual that the kid is alive after that long. So that's awesome. Great job by the Aussie police. Let's go to this. By the way, you guys, remember the uh, the Paris attacks? Well, remember that trial is going on right now. And this is the long-running uh, Paris attacks trial. And this is the one where those terrorists killed 130 people on the night of 13 November 2015. And you guys all remember that one. And this is the main dude on trial is Salah Abdesalam. And, you know, it's funny because at the trial they're describing their upbringing. These guys had like happy childhoods in either Brussels, Belgium, or Tunis. And they had plenty of brothers and sisters. They had parents. And they're examining how the once ordinary lives of 14 men on trial became a mix of petty jobs and petty crimes. Some of these guys went to join the war on Syria. 
and then they became caught up in the Islamic State, and that's when they decided to wreak terrorist havoc in Western Europe. So this is uh, after weeks of eyewitness accounts. This is the first time since the trial began in September that the spotlight has been on these accused and trying to, I guess, I don't know, they're trying to understand what happened here. So I'm just scrolling down here. They disguised themselves as, yeah, they had Moroccan parents born in Brussels, popular with teachers. Had, one guy had a diploma in electrical mechanics. Um, and yeah, all these guys are basically on the trial. And this is after they blew up the uh, concert hall and, uh, went on to kill a bunch of other people. And it was just fucking horrible. So that's still going on. I don't think they're going to, unfortunately, get them the death penalty. I don't know if they have that, but definitely if anybody qualifies for it, it's certainly these guys. Okay. What else? Let's go to this one. How about this? Let's go to domestic politics. You guys remember the famous Steele dossier? Remember that? It was the anti-Trump uh, hit piece by the former British spy that said Trump would like to have hookers piss on him and shit like that. <laughs> Stupid. Well, authorities have arrested an analyst who contributed to that dossier. As a matter of fact, he was the main dude. He was the main source for Christopher Steele which is whom the Steele dossier is named after. So this was Igor Danchenko, and he was the Russian analyst who worked with Christopher Steele. He was indicted as part of this investigation into the dossier. And he was arrested and charged as lying to the FBI. He was the primary researcher for claims that went into the dossier, which is a which was a compilation of rumors and unproven assertions suggesting that Mr. Trump and his 2016 campaign were compromised by and conspiring with Russian intelligence to help him defeat Hillary Clinton. So the special counsel, John Durham, put out a 39-page indictment and a grand jury accused Nanchenko of making five counts of false statements to the FBI about his sources for claims in the dossier. So the indictment showed that two and a half years after then-Attorney General William Barr appointed him to scour the Trump-Russia investigation, and a year after Trump lost re-election, Durham continues to go ahead with it. Because That's the thing about it. Once a special counsel is appointed, it doesn't matter if the president is gone who appointed him or whatever, or if the attorney general, the special counsel remains. That's the law. So if it takes 10 fucking years... He'll be around for 10 years. So the dossier, remember, played a vivid role in a Trump-Russia affair. Here's the New York Times downplaying it. But was largely peripheral to the official inquiry. Yeah, right. Yeah, not according to blue checks on Twitter, I'll tell you that. And uh, somehow uh, old senile Bob Mueller III, St. Robert Mueller III, did not uh, find figure out any of this when he gave his final report. And he spent two years and fucking tens of millions of dollars on it. Uh, I'm not really... I'll just quickly say, some claims from the dossier did make its way into an FBI wiretap, obliga- uh, wiretap application. So you see what they did? They took the dossier, which was fake, and then they put it in their application 
the FBI did, to show to a judge saying, see, we have this intelligence, approve our wiretap application, which is a rubber stamp anyway. I remember I did the story where they approved them like 98% of the time or something like that. But that's how they got the wiretap. And the wiretap was for the former Trump campaign advisor, Carter Page. And then they also used details from dossier for three renewal applications the following year. And then, of course, the purported blackmail tape, the piss tape, the pee tape, whatever you want to call it, caused a political and media firestorm when BuzzFeed published the materials in January 2017, just by sheer coincidence right before Trump was sworn in. Most of the important claims in a dossier, writes the New York Times, have not been proven, and some have been refuted, including by Mr. Mueller. You believe this? I told you it was all fake. The media ran with this for years. They insisted that, no, 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 much of the dossier, almost all the dossier has been proven real, that you could turn on any cable news channel for the last four nights and see them saying that. And FBI agents interviewed Danchenko several times in 2017 when they were seeking to run down the claims. Uh, I'm not going to go into the whole fucking which what specific he lied about because it's it's I it's I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because it's too annoying. But like the only sentence you need to know is what I just read. Most of the important claims in the dossier have not been proven, and some have been refuted. There you go. So it was all fake, and the media fucking ran with it because they hated the orange man so badly. But hey, I have a super cut for you. Just in case, and just to refresh your memory, how positive the media was that this dossier was the real deal. Parts of the now this. infamous dossier on Trump have proven to be true. I know the Campaign history of dollars. the dossier, but it hasn't been discredited. In fact, it's been the opposite. It's been corroborated. <laughs> uh, Much of the dossier has been corroborated. It's discredited dossier, it which was paid discredited. for. Paid. Your intel community has corroborated all of the details in there. The all, meeting. Some of the substance content of the dossier we were able to corroborate in our intelligence community assessment Why? from other sources in which we had very high confidence. We know that with the FISA application, the relevant parts of Christopher Steele's dossier were corroborated. That if the application False. included information from the dossier, it would only be after the FBI had, in fact, corroborated information through its own investigation. Why? We also know that as time goes on, more and more parts of the Steele dossier Get corroborated. So when the president just refers to it as fake dossier, that is false. Uh, I I don't think that's that, that is the accurate characterization for the entirety of the dossier. Clear investigators have just, no just ninety five percent of the of it. Uh, dossier. Dossier has been corroborated by the intelligence community. U.S. investigators have corroborated some of the allegations in that dossier. Yes. Although we do know that parts of it have been corroborated. It's not been corroborated, but it hasn't been disproven either. Is there anything in the dossier that has been disproven? No. But not one thing has been disproven. <laughs> no major thing from the dossier has been conclusively disproven. False. To date, none of it has been disproven. And whole big parts of it are holding up. The well. dossier um, holds up well. None of it has been disproven. All of the allegations in it, I don't know that anything has been disproven. It's a fact that none of it, not one word, has been disproven. In fact, a lot of it turned out to be right on the money. Former high-ranking intelligence officials have told us on the record that there is nothing in the Steele dossier that they know to have been disproven. Much of the dossier has been corroborated. Do you not accept 
that they, I don't agree with that, Allison. This is our reporting, and this is what um, this is what crime fighting agencies have said that the FBI <laughs> would not have just taken a dossier uh, to the FISA court and used that as their predicate for the surveillance. Uh, that's exactly that's exactly what they did. That is exactly what they did, Allison Camerati. You fucking dope. And all of those people are still on television, and they're all. They're all just going to pretend like none of this ever happened. That's what kills me. There won't be any responsibility whatsoever. All right, guys. Shit, I'm upset now. Let's do something a little fun. I'm pretty sure I covered this story because not too many of these get by me. But there's an update either way. In a plea deal, a Florida man who was spotted pleasuring himself onto the back of a woman shopping with her son in the toy aisle of a Walmart has been sentenced to 15 months in state prison. Uh, this is Elias Floor, 21 years old. He pleaded no contest to a felony child abuse charge. And this happened back in December of 2019. Why is this? This is almost two years. Why? Our justice system. Say what you will about the Chinese and the fucking Saudis or whoever. They don't take that long with their justice system. Yeah, he was originally charged with lewd and lascivious behavior in the presence of a child under the age of 16. But he uh, pled to the lesser child abuse count. He will be taken into custody. Remember, the according to the Winter Haven Police Department report, Floor approached the victim from behind while she was shopping with her 12-year-old son. Floor then unzipped his pants, pulled out his penis, and then within an arm reach of the woman who is facing away from him shopping, he pleasured himself now until he ejaculated. Onto the pants of the victim, <laughs> right, right in her buttock area. As this was happening, by the way, the woman's son was attempting to get his mother's attention. What was she? What was this fucking chick doing? You don't notice a guy jacking it behind you, so your son is tugging you on your arm, like, "Mommy, mommy, this man is uh, beating a worm to death behind you." I don't know what a kid would say. Yeah, what are you doing, Mom? Was she staring into her phone, probably? Watching a TikTok? Yeah, get your head out of your phone. See, in Florida, you can't take any chances. You gotta keep your head on a swivel, people. There are crazy people in that state. That's Florida for you. And uh, when you guys sent me this one? Yep, it's another one, dude. Woman falls 100 feet to her death from a cliff in Belgium after posing for a selfie. God, 33 years old. 100 feet. Zoe Snowex slipped off the precipice near the village of Nedrin in the province of Luxembourg, and she landed in the river. Her body was later recovered. Her husband told the uh, local media that they uh, went to the site in their camper van and they were uh, kind of just driving across Europe with their dogs. She's pretty hot, too. This is That makes it even worse. And they got up there and he said, uh, the husband said his wife snapped photos on the edge of the cliff when she told me to look out for the dogs. He turned to the dogs and he told them to wait. When he turned back to Zoe, she was no longer there. 
He said he didn't see or hear anything. He didn't hear rustling. He didn't hear screaming, shouting, nothing. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how much long, how many more of these stories it's going to take, honestly, before people finally get it. All right. Uh, let me see. Well, let's do... Uh, well, guys, we got to talk about the big elections. So let's just go to that. The elections this week... Of course, the uh, big story was Virginia, but there was a lot more than that. Let's just kind of go down it. Uh, the Democrats lost the governor's race in Virginia. That was a state that Joe Biden won by 10 percentage points only a year ago. In New Jersey, which Biden won by 16 points, the Democrats did win, but barely. And there was uh, big swings. Glenn Youngkin became the first Republican in Virginia to win a top-of-the-ticket race in Virginia since 2009. And Republicans also, in addition, won the lieutenant governor race and state attorney general races in Virginia. And also they took control of the Virginia House of Delegates. Um, and yes, uh, as I put on Instagram, the... Lieutenant Governor is going to be the highest-ranking African-American female to uh, ever serve in the state of Virginia. And she's a former Marine, which is even cooler. So, uh, yeah, Governor Phil Murphy in New Jersey, he did uh, pull off a close win, unfortunately. But basically, the D Democrats got squashed all, the, all over the country. Uh, they not only just these high profile races like Democrat like the governor's races, but school boards were just getting tossed. Um, Long Island, the Republicans just ravaged Long Island, and it just went on all night long. The first female black lieutenant governor of Virginia that would be by the way Winsome Sears, and the guy who won the attorney general's race is. A Latino. Not that any of this crap should matter, but because this is a stupid time we live in where everybody racially beaten counts. You know, it was not white supremacy. I got some great clips for you guys in a minute. I'm going to play. But that's what, and I hope they keep this up, that's what the far left is blaming this on. They're saying, well, Virginia, uh, this is just a white supremacy. <laughs> that's become their catch-all term. Anything they don't like is white supremacy. And they really were especially emphasizing schools. And what should go down is a huge gaffe. Democratic candidate for governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, infamously said, well, I don't think parents should be telling schools what to teach. And fucking people did not like that at all. That was really when Youngkin uh, started to surge. Now, one of the best stories about this was in New Jersey, where Stephen Sweeney, the New Jersey Senate president lost to a Republican truck driver who had never served in public office before of any kind. This is, this is fantastic. This guy, Sweeney, was like basically the most powerful lawmaker in New Jersey next to the governor. He was like the, the top of the machine. Four years ago, the state's teachers union and the teachers union in blue states are infamously powerful, spent more than $5 million to get rid of him. He ended up winning by 18 points. This year, though, came along Edward Durr, D-U-R-R, -R, a truck driver for a furniture chain 
His campaign video was shot on a cell phone. Well, he was fucking victorious, and he fucking ousted Sweeney. And the Associated Press did call the race on Thursday morning. Mr. Durr maintained a 2,298-vote lead over Sweeney with all precincts counted. Oh, I love this. And did you see all the fucking leftists on Twitter bitching about this guy? They're like, oh, great, a truck driver. What does he know about government? Like, I'm like, this is exactly who we should be getting into government. Who knows more about uh, transportation, infrastructure? And Durr told news outlets that he spent $153 on his campaign. But his financial disclosure reports indicate he actually spent roughly about $2,000 on his campaign. And uh, uh, amusingly enough, a lot of that was like on donuts and stuff like that. Now, the funny part, too, is he never he didn't think he would win. You could tell, Durr, because he didn't delete any of his social media accounts. And so now (laughs) now he's deleted his his uh, Twitter. And I'm just going to read you some of the tweets that were great. Because now he, he has deleted it, but he didn't even bother deleting it before he fucking uh, even ran for office, which most people would would do. Uh, let's see. So I'm uh, reading some of his tweets. Here's one that said he was talking about Charlottesville, the uh, white supremacist there. He said, quote, yes, thugs in Charlottesville on both sides, neo-Nazi and white supremacist, and on left, BLM and Antifa. Hashtag hate is hate. That same month when WikiLeaks whistleblower and transgender activist Chelsea Manning tweeted, quote, imagine a world without prisons, end quote, Durr responded, quote, of course the she, him, shim wants no prisons, end quote. It's funny, the Daily Mail actually starred out the shim word. It's S star star star, but I saw it earlier and that's what it was. Oh, and then he said Shim should be in one. Uh, he also wrote in a Facebook post claiming that the January 6th Capitol riot was a setup. Uh, when, Kamala, when Kamala Harris became vice president, Durr said she was chosen, quote, based on race and gender, end quote. Well, that's clearly true. Remember, Biden came out and he said, I'm getting a black female for my vote. He said that. So, yes, that is a fact. And most recently in August, he likened COVID-19 restrictions to the Holocaust. (laughs) Uh, Any more of these? Um, Let's see. I'm just going, I'm scrolling down here. Yeah, the the, uh, fucking local Islamist uh, group is, is very upset with them. The Council on American Islamic Relations. Yeah, nobody cares what you think. Remember the remember CARE Council? They fucking got caught money laundering to all kinds of fucking uh, Islamic militant groups, so fuck them. Yeah, fantastic. Good. Good for you. As a matter of fact, I have a clip of Edward Durr here, and they're asking him, like, well, what are you going to do? You just became GOP state senator in New Jersey, so what are you going to do when you get to Trenton? Just to sit back and do nothing. Ed, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get to the Capitol in Trenton? Uh, I really don't know. That's that's the key factor. I don't know what I don't know, so I will learn what I need to know. And I'm going to guarantee you one thing. I will be the voice and people will hear me because if there's one thing people will learn about me, 
I got a big mouth and I don't <laughs> shut up. When I want to be heard, I'm going to be heard. Well, I will let. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Finish your thought. I, w I was just going to say that I, I, I will be that voice for the people because chose to sit back. Okay, and, there it is. And it repeated for some reason. Very good. All right. Yeah, see, I, I, that's refreshing to me. What are you going to do when you get up there? I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, I don't even know how it works. Uh, oh, and by the way, an update. This just happened. It's not the Steve Sweeney, the guy he unseated, he is not conceding. Because the Washington Examiner, this is great, all of a sudden, he's talking about, quote, recently found, end quote, ballots. Get out of here with this. He says there were 12,000 ballots recently found in one county. You know, this is obnoxious at this point. You know, figure it out. I've said it a million times. Mail-in ballots should be almost completely abolished. Unless you're military and unless you have a good like physical or mental reason for not being able to do it. This is what I'm talking about. This just invites more fraud. You should have to, sh if I was king, you show up and you give an ID and it's all done in one day. None of this fucking early crap, none of it. I wouldn't have any of it. All it does is invite chicanery. That's all it does. It should be one day. And by the way, all the ballots should be counted and nobody goes home until all the ballots are counted. There's no excuse for not doing it that way. This crap where it's like, well, we won't know for several weeks. That, when did that start even happening? That wasn't a thing for, for decades in the United States. That wasn't for centuries. You knew the day of the election. It's completely unacceptable. No more of this crap. Uh, what else about the election? Uh, a couple more just notes. A 59-year-old retired firefighter named John Lujan won a state house seat in San Antonio, and that's a, the, a uh, flip of a seat. That was uh, for the Democrats. Yeah, good for him, man. And... Yeah, that was a once reliable Democratic bastion. And by the way, yeah, a couple, a bunch of people there. So, you know, the Latinos are really going hard for Republicans now. Now, it is true that in Virginia, Latinos did, most the Latinos did vote for Terry McAuliffe. But a huge chunk of them voted for Yunkin. So this is continuing to be a thing. Other notes, the abolish the police measure in Minneapolis went down in flames. Oh, and by the way, guess who voted heavily to defeat that measure? That's right. All the districts where crime is really high and are populated heavily by African-Americans. No, they don't want to abolish. But only white liberals want to abolish the police. I've told you that. I told you that a year ago. But it wasn't all great news in Minneapolis. Uh, soy boy. Jacob Fry, remember the mayor who oversaw Minneapolis when George Floyd was murdered? He did win a second term. That blows my fucking mind. Remember, as I covered at the time, he basically sat by and watched a mob burn down a police station and then destroy entire city blocks, and he didn't do a goddamn thing. I remember, I still remember, I was doing the podcast while I was going on. I was like, dude, you got to put this down now or this is never going to end. And of course, I was right. And this weak, pathetic, basically, I don't even look at him as a man. He's like a kid. He's probably older than me. He did nothing. 
And this is the new generation of these politicians. It's like, uh, Ga- you know, Gavin Newsom, Jacob Fry, Eric Garcetti. They're all these like white, very soft, effeminate, uh, far left man. And he did win his reelection. So that's what they want up there. That's their business. Uh, New York Democrats, like I said, in Long Island, especially just got blown out of the water. Republicans made inroads across New York from Long Island to city council races in Queens and Brooklyn. How about that? Yeah. The, in New York City, Eric Adams, by the way, won the mayoral race. He was expected, but he's a conservative former policeman as well. And they did say that this was a shellacking. And that's according to a former New York congressman and one-time chair of the House Democratic campaign arm. Uh, let me see. Oh, and by and just to finish up this before I get to the audio clips, and I got some great audio clips. The gar, the Intercept has a great story. Did you guys see that stunt right before the election, where in Virginia, where Yunkin's campaign bus was out there, and then those five goofs showed up holding the fucking tiki torches and white shirts, and one was a black guy and one was like a chick. It was hilarious. You could tell right away it was like an opposition hit, right? The idea was to portray Yunkin as uh, being the same thing as those goofballs who marched through Charlottesville holding the tiki torches. See how that went? It turned out to be a stunt by the Lincoln Project. You've probably heard me mention them before. And by the way, who is the Lincoln Project's director? He's one of the woke vets that I ridiculed so badly on Twitter. He finally did block me. He's a very corpulent man named Fred Wellman. He's a veteran, very extremely woke. He called himself a Republican. Now, basically, he sits on Twitter all day uh, calling anybody who's not a far-left liberal a torch-wielding Nazi. Yeah, he's that far gone. Anyway, they thought this would be a really cool stunt. But I, they got caught, and then they look like idiots. But go read the whole article. Uh, Google internal emails show how a Lincoln Project Tiki Torch stunt went wrong. And you can um, go check that out. That was funny. Now, to the audio clips. Let's go first to some of the clips from the media, MSNBC and CNN. And this is them talking about the win in Virginia. Let's start with this one. They here. would have to be willing to say what you have said on your show. I think we've all said a version of it. You have to be willing to vocalize that these Republicans are dangerous, that this isn't a party that's just another political party that disagrees with us on tax policy, that at this point, they're dangerous. They're dangerous to our national security because stoking that kind of soft white nationalism eventually leads to the hardcore stuff. It leads to the January 6th stuff because if people are tolerant of it in your party, they're tolerant of the soft racism, it's a really short trip to get to the January 6th insurrection. <laughs> God, what I tell you guys, they're going to milk that January 6th crap into the ground. And by the way, they're talking about Glenn Youngkin, who's the most milk toast, middle of the road guy you could possibly find in a Republican. And they talk about him like he's fucking David Duke. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to um, this one where they are talking about 
critical race theory, and I'll have more to say on that in a little Particularly bit. Particularly what we're seeing in critical Loudoun County. Well, I was going to say in Loudoun County, this is where critical race theory, this conspiracy theory that is really made up. Conspiracy not theory, made up. Virginia schools. It That's a lie. Promoted, in fact, by a person who is connected to the Trump White House, and so there's a whole train of. People who are involved in setting okay, this up. Okay, I, I just want to stop her there, and I'll have more to say on critical race theory later, but that is a complete lie. That's not talking. It's on the fucking Board of Education's website. You can see it. Here's Van Jones, where he talks about Glenn Youngkin. Let's um, first of all, it's not over. Um, you do have the, the grassroots uh, folks out there uh, fighting for this on the Democratic Party side. The stakes are high. Uh, when this election is over in Virginia, we will know. Have we seen the emergence of the Delta variant? Of Trumpism. Oh, that's cute. The Delta variant of Trumpism. In other words, Yunkin, uh, same disease, but spreads a lot faster. It can get a lot more places. Okay, um, I'd, I'd love for I'd love for somebody to jump in right there and be like, uh, Vanjo, when you say Trumpism, can you define that? Because I keep hearing that in the media, and I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And then here is a super cut for you guys, basically talking the media saying that they got blown the fuck out because Americans are racist. When Yunkin played the race card for a reason because he knows it works on certain white voters he did stoke white grievance politics to mobilize the republican base he's laundered trump's really sort of disgusting flagrant outracism he's wrapped it in education education right which is code for White parents don't like the idea of teaching right. about race. That's the fundamental so problem what? for these parents and this anti-CRT movement. They don't like the way whiteness is being portrayed in these new, more inclusive lessons. Yeah. This wasn't about those pocketbook issues. This was about how white kids feel talking about what black kids go through. The subtext of all oh, this was, baby. we can't let these black and brown people run the country. Glenn Youngkin <laughs> running on critical race theory that he knew hit a chord around race. I think all the CRT stuff is trumped up dog whistling. Some of it was uh, dog whistle racism. The dog whistle messaging that you saw Youngkin engage in during the course of the campaign. CRT is in the latest line of school busing, cross town busing, Welfare queens, you have it. It's in that same. It's in that same line, and you saw it in the in the results in Virginia. This more palatable Republican who still uses the same racist themes that Trump did. He just packaged them in a soccer dad sweater vest model. He's found a way to launder huh. a pretty racist trope. This idea that we cannot talk about America's history because it hurts my feelings. That's not what. That's He's not what they're mad about. Idiot. White voters do have anxiety about. A changing America. Right? Well, I thought it that was a conspiracy theory. Browner. You've got the Republicans yelling like, hey, look, the black and brown folks are coming for us. Some Republican candidates are perfectly willing to use race as a motivating factor for their base. That has gone on for decades and it happened this year. Race is just the most palpable tool in the toolkit used to be of the Democratic Party back right. in the day when they were Dixiecrats, and now of the Republican Party. This is about the fact that a good chunk of voters out there are okay with white supremacy. <laughs> Again, guys, they're talking about Virginia, lieutenant governor, black female. The attorney general is a Latino gentleman. So when they keep yelling about black and brown, guess what, dumb fuck? 
And nobody challenges them on any of this, of course. Not not a single dope on MSNBC breaks in and says, but I hope they keep this up. I honestly hope they keep this up because they're going to lose even huge, because they're going to double down on this, because this is the only card they know how to play, these far leftists. You have to understand, the far these far leftists who are obsessed with race, they are a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the general population. But they're all in this fucking bubble on Twitter, and they all agree with each other, and they all go on each other's shows, and they sit around agreeing with each other, and they never talk to anybody who doesn't. So they think they have this outsized influence, which they do on TV and on social media, but everybody going to the polls, they don't even know who the fuck you are, dude. They don't know who Van Jones is or Tiffany Cross. That was the last dopey chick I played. And you know who, but you know who does know this is a disaster for the Democrats is oh, good old James Carville, old Clinton hack. And here he is. They asked him about what happened. Let's listen to James Looking Carville. Looking at these results, uh, your party, uh, what went wrong? What went wrong was just stupid wokeness. All right, don't just look at Virginia and New Jersey. Look at Long Island. Look at Buffalo. Look at Minneapolis. Even look at Seattle, Washington. I mean, just defund the police lunacy to take Abraham Lincoln's name off of schools. I mean, that people see that. And it, 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 it's, it's just really a, have a suppressive effect all across the country. The Democrats, some of these people need to go to a woke detox center or something. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're expressing a language that people just don't use. And there's a backlash and a frustration at that. Uh, you know what? He's, he's 100% right. And he was trending on Twitter. And when you clicked on his name, the all the tweets were, oh, James Carville, you stupid old hick. Your time is gone. You're just another white man. You don't know anything. We're going to keep this going. They just don't understand yet. I hope they do. I hope they do. Now, here's former Obama advisor David Axelrod saying Democrats are not the party of the working man anymore whatsoever. Party, what you've seen is it's, it's become a more, um, uh, a more uh, college-educated urban uh, party in coalition with uh, uh, minority voters, and the the messages tend to be moralizing. It's moralizing. like it is. It's it, we are going to tell you, we will tell you what is right. We t we we will and and no connection to uh, people who work with their hands, people who work with their backs, rural voters. Uh, uh, so that's part of the problem. Okay, yeah, and he's right, and he's talking to Van Jones, who just called Yunkin the Delta variant of the virus. Uh, I got I have more clips than I thought on here, but let's see. Here's Van Jones saying that they're uh, annoying. I think that the Democrats are coming across in ways that we don't recognize that are annoying yes. and offensive um, and seem out of touch in ways that I don't think show up in our feeds when we're looking at, at, at our kind of echo chamber. Yes, exactly. Your echo chamber. That's at least he's fucking self-aware enough to recognize it. Uh, and here is uh, Michael Eric Dyson, some dopey race grifter. He's talking about the newly elected lieutenant governor. You you guys all know she may be a black female, but she's controlled by white supremacy. Let's the problem listen. is here, they want, they want white supremacy by ventriloquist effect. There is a black mouth moving, but a white idea through the running on the runway of the tongue of a figure who justifies and legitimates uh, the white supremacist practices. We know that we can 
internalize Le in our own minds, in our own subconscious, in our own bodies, the very principles that are undoing us. So to have a black face uh, speaking in behalf of a white supremacist legacy is nothing new. And it is to the chagrin of those of us who study race that the white folk on the other side and the right wingers on the other side don't understand this is politics 101 and this is race, not even 101. What's beneath 101? It's the, it's the pre-K of race. You should understand the fact that if you tell black people, look, I support a Negro. Look, there is a person of color that I am in favor of. And that person of color happens to undermine and undercut and subvert the very principles about which we are concerned. You do yourself. Who's fucking we, bro? Who's we? You mean you, you fucking big lib dope? <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable? Man, I have noticed, you know, it's funny, man. These fucking race grifters, you know, you ever notice that they're always like, if they're African-American, they tend to come from elite. The more elite African-American family they have, like the more highly educated and everything else and the better schools that they went to, those tend to be the most cry face about race and the worst race grifters. Like, look at Colin Kaepernick. There's another one. Grew up with a white adopted family in fucking uh, Wisconsin. And then he fucking gets radicalized, and now he's fucking thinks he's the next coming of Malcolm X. He didn't have that fucking life growing up at all. He grew up in privilege. So did this guy, Michael. He grew up in privilege. He's a professor at Georgetown, for Christ's sakes. Like, I knew a guy who was a Marine Corps officer who grew up in D.C. when it was really bad in, like, the 70s. He was a black dude. And he was like, he liked to listen to like fucking third eye blind and shit. <laughs> he, he was like, but that he really did grow up in that environment, you know? And then, but he, when he grew up, he didn't care about any of you. He wanted to get the hell out of there. He didn't want to keep it real. It's just funny, man. And then finally, let's end with dopey Kamala Harris. And this was her prediction before the election. Let's hear what she says here. Because you see, what happens in Virginia will in large part determine what happens in 2022, 2024, and on. Okay. All right. Well, you heard Kamala. She's the expert. That's what happens. Uh, that's so good. I have other stuff here, but uh, let me just keep going a little bit. Let's go to uh, the old COVID update. How about that? Let's do our latest map and case count. Let's see, total reported cases, the United States, 46,395,307. That is a minus 3% in the 14-day change. Total reported deaths, 753,517. That is a minus 20% in the 14-day change. So uh, the, the, the big decline we saw in the last couple of weeks is kind of leveled off. There are about 70,000 new infections reported daily. However, hospitalizations and deaths have continued to decline. Uh, infection levels are climbing in some states, including here in California, Colorado, and New Mexico. 70% of American adults are now fully vaccinated. With booster shots and pediatric doses increasing demand, the country is administering more vaccines per day than at any point since June. So uh, let me see. What about any live updates, Pays Well, Pfizer has a new pill, antiviral pill, that they say is highly effective in preventing severe illness among at-risk people who received the drug soon after they exhibited symptoms. 
The antiviral pill is the second of its kind to demonstrate efficacy against COVID. It appears to be more effective than a similar offering from Merck, which is awaiting federal authorization. Pfizer's pill will be sold under the brand name Paxlovid. They say it cut the risk of hospitalization or death by 89% when given within three days at the start of symptoms. Um, they said they, this is a huge result and uh, a great deal. 11 states are suing the Biden administration over its vaccination mandate for large companies. Um, that would be uh, Missouri, Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. And that came a day after the attorneys general of Kentucky, Tennessee, and Ohio sued to stop the vaccine mandate for federal contractors from going into effect. The requirement on large private businesses is the most far-reaching and politically controversial measure in efforts to fight the pandemic. And Republican governors, some industry trade groups have come out against the requirement. And, you know, they, they exempt a bunch of people. So... Anything else on the live updates page? Uh, let's see. Oh uh, well, let's get let, let's get into this as long as I have it in front of me. Aaron Rodgers, the NFL quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Boy, people just want people to die. If if you buck the vaccine at all, people on social media just want you to die, <laughs> and it cracks the sports writers who are f even worse than the regular journalists as far as their leftist tendencies. They were so mad at him. That's right. He spoke publicly yesterday for the first time since news broke that he was not vaccinated against coronavirus and has tested positive. And he says he's become a victim of a woke mob. Uh, yes, he did confirm news that he had tested positive for the virus. He will miss Green Bay's game on Sunday against Kansas City. He must isolate for 10 days and test negative in order to return. Uh, so... He said he did not want to take the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines because he had an allergy to an, in, an ingredient in them. Now, Rogers, here's the controversy. Back in August, he told the dopey reporters during training camp that he had been, quote, immunized, end quote, against the virus, a term that the journalists did not ask him to define further. So they assumed that meant he had taken the vaccine. Well, he had not. So now they're all like freaking out about it. So when he was talking uh, on this podcast, and I got a clip here in a minute, he said he began an immunization process that the league did not include in its vaccination options. The quarterback petitioned the NFL to approve his plan, but it was denied. Besides the three vaccines, no other federally approved immunization method exists. Um, unvaccinated NFL players are subject to more stringent requirements, blah, 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 blah. And so, so I will say it's just funny because the, all these people who are like, oh, you, how irresponsible, all those people you could infect and die. And I'm like, dude, this is a fucking athlete in a very physically demanding sport at the prime of his career in his thirties. I think he's going to be okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? They act like COVID is a death sentence. That's what cracks me up. Now, here is a few clips for you. 
on this podcast. One of the ones that made them very upset that he talked to Joe Rogan about 48 hours in and I consulted with a now good friend of mine, Joe Rogan. Uh Oh, after he got COVID and I've been doing a lot of the stuff that he recommended in his podcasts and, you know, on the phone to me and I'm going to have the best immunity possible now based on the 2.5 million person study from Israel that people who get COVID and recover have the most robust immunity. And I'm thankful for people like Joe stepping up and using their voice. I'm thankful for my medical squad. Um, and I'm thankful for all the love and support I've gotten. But I've been taking monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin, zinc, C and DHEQ, and... I feel pretty incredible. Okay, so you said a lot there. Okay, let me now. Okay, there's one, and I got one other clip from him, where he talks about the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, let's hear what he says. If you're a healthy person who has a strong immune system, keep building your immune system, and and do what you got to do. Do what's best for your body. But that opinion, you know, doesn't work because we, you know. We, you know, we've given away billions of dollars to these pharmaceutical companies now for these for these vaccines, and it's not going to stop. Merck's coming out with a pill, uh, you know, uh, Pfizer's coming out with a, a pill that's going to help. You know, it's, it's it's basically the expensive versions of ivermectin. Why do people hate ivermectin? That's because you know Trump championed it because it's cheap, generic, can't make any money off it. But it's been used a billion times in India. All right, let me stop him here about the pharmaceutical companies. Now, it's funny because that used to be common knowledge among the the, the, the left. They hated pharmaceutical companies. They looked at them as greedy, you know? And as a matter of, I just thought this was amusing in a tangential celebrity-related story. Chris Rock, the comedian, also came down with COVID. And now he's basically championing the pharmaceutical companies. Now, he used to make fun of them on stage in his act. Let me play this clip for you from Chris Rock. That's right. We got AIDS out there. You think they're going to cure AIDS? No. They can't even cure athletes' foot. <laughs> they ain't curing AIDS. Shit. They ain't never curing AIDS. They ain't never curing AIDS. <laughs> Don't even think about that shit. They ain't curing AIDS because ain't no money in the cure. The money's in the medicine. That's how you get paid. Okay, so there you go. That's right. The government's a bunch of drug dealers, blah, blah, blah. Well, now Chris Rock is <laughs> making fun of uh, anti-vaxxers on stage. Let's listen to this. I haven't seen any shows since COVID. Has anybody been like, throw your mask in the air? No. All right, Kyrie, yeah, making fun of Kyrie Irving there. That's just funny how people, because the societal pressure is so huge, especially if you're famous. Like, I guarantee you there are tons of NFL players who agree with Aaron Rodgers, but they are not going to dare speak up and get shit on all over Instagram and Twitter. Aaron Rodgers is a huge star. He can get away with it. 
But if you're just some, like, you know, no-name lineman, you can't get away with that. And then let me finish my uh, Green Bay, I'm sorry, my uh, COVID stuff by coming here to San Diego. We had, like, some, I guess he's a wannabe comedian. He went to a city council meeting, and he he really started, like, laying into the city council, which I don't have a problem with, but then he got, like, really racial because our... Uh, the uh, doctor public health director here is African-American and she's a complete dope. Don't get me wrong, but he uses some <laughs> racially charged language and uh, they cut him off and get all pissed at him. Let's see how this goes. And then lemurs, I like to call you Lawson Reamer. You're a little monkey. I'd like to see you hang from a tree. And then Wooten, you're fucking Aunt Jemima. And uh, yeah, syrup won't sweeten and cause your diabetic sorry, coma fast enough either. You are not allowed to say that to her. You are not oh, allowed well, to say that. I can't say that you're a fat you piece of shit. Fat all you want, oh, well, this is the first time you responded. Oh, no. No, I'm they actually responded. The Let's have a dialogue. The chair is not here. I'm going to ask you to apologize to her. No. You are not allowed Fuck to you, talk to her. Fuck you, you're a piece of furniture. Way. You're a chair. You are not a chair allowed to talk to her that way. You. Ooh, you're so angry. You are not allowed. Can you please? No, you're garbage. You are not allowed to talk to her that way. You are not allowed to talk to her that way. No. All right, San Diego. Sandy, see? Remember the clip from a few months back with the guy with the dreadlocks? Going, your ancestors will pay. That was also the city council meeting. I might have to start going to a few of those because they seem like they're fucking pretty entertaining. Uh, that's great. Okay, what else? Uh, let's do a couple of fun uh, men of the cloth stories. How about this? Let's go to, uh, where is this? Let's go to Jamaica, where a Jamaican preacher and 41 of his congregants were arrested last week after two people were killed during an alleged human sacrifice. A self-proclaimed prophet named Kevin Smith, that's the preacher, and the church members were arrested for slitting the throats of 39-year-old office worker Taneka Gardner and an unidentified man. Friends told the Jamaica Observer Gardner had been buying essentials in the weeks before her death as Smith told his congregants that a flood was about to sweep in. So, the day of the murder, Smith ordered parishioners to dress in white, wrap their cell phones in tinfoil, leave the device at home, and head to their church. Huh. The pastor even wrote on Facebook, quote, the ark is loading now. Leave immediately, man, dressed in white. It is a Roman Catholic sacrifice. It will have no survivors. End quote. How's that Jamaican? Is that a Jamaican act? I don't know. Uh, so after Gardner was killed, a man also had his throat slit in a bid to rid his body of impure blood. At the scene, police found more potential victims, including nude men and animals who had been lined up to be next. Oh, and by the way, authorities are also looking into child sex abuse allegations. <laughs> uh, how about this one, though? Rhode Island priest suspected of sharing child porn using the church's internet. That's no good. Come on, bro. This is James Jackson of St. Mary's Church in Providence. He was busted Saturday after investigators identified child porn being shared via the church's internet connection. Well, Jackson happens to live at the church, and he was identified as the owner of digital media 
allegedly involved in the possession and transfer of child pornography and child erotica. Well, I, for one, am shocked to hear a priest uh, was into child porn. I really can't believe it, and I don't know where to go with it. Let's talk about this Marines getting wiped out in the exercise in the desert story. Okay, because I, I, this was, if not fake news, kind of fake news adjacent, and I should know better. I did tweet it out, and I was like, well, this sucks. And then a bunch of you guys, I got all your messages. A, a, several of my listeners were actually at this thing, and they said this was grossly uh, exaggerated at best. Let me first read the daily, what the Daily Mail wrote, because basically one British newspaper put this out, and then all the fucking U.S. outlets picked it up, and so I thought it was legit. Because, like, if I always I always double-check, and if it's, like, in multiple, multiple paper, I'm like, okay, well, they must have checked, see? Even I, after years of ridiculing the media and knowing how worthless they are, even I fail sometimes, so I apologize for that. But here's what they said. British forces took part in a five-day mock battle at the USMC 29 Palms Base in California. So but when they do these things, they use training ammunition along with high-tech simulators for heavier firepower like artillery you know, uh, guided missiles, all that shit. So they, according to them, Royal Marines commandos dominated U.S. troops and forced them into a humiliating surrender just days into a mass training exercise. Uh, they said these Royal Marines achieved a decisive victory against the American counterparts. Now, the Royal Marines, along with allied forces from Canada, the Netherlands, and the UAE, destroyed or rendered inoperable nearly every U.S. asset and finished the exercise holding more than 65% of the training area after beginning with less than 20%. Uh, seeing no opportunity for victory, American combatants asked for the exercise to be reset halfway through the five-day exercise, having taken significant casualties from the British commandos so let me just get down here past all these pictures here um they had spent the last two months had the british troops preparing for deployments next year and this was the five-day simulated conflict green dagger which is designed to test the u.s marine corps prior to units deploying overseas and well, so that's what went around, right? But basically, the Marines won decisive battles early on and gained ground from their enemy, but amid a U.S. Marine's counterattack, commandos carried out raids behind enemy lines. And they did some sneaky shit, too. Like, one of you guys who was there told me that the, the British troops actually wore U.S. Marine Corps uniforms and somehow got it. Was we were able to listen in on some of their op, ops planning and shit like that. So... Anyway, this story originated in the Daily Telegraph, which is a Brit paper, and then it went all the way through that. So, according to the U.S. Marines, they're pushing back on this now, probably because it was so widespread. A communications and strategy, strategy director with the Marines said, winners are never determined. This exercise does not provide an opportunity to surrender or reset. The objective of the exercise is to heighten unit performance and increase readiness. Um, and I'm uh, just looking down here. One, one PhD candidate at the Department of War Studies at King's College tweeted that 
the UK publications that propagated the story undermine the value of these types of training events. He wrote, quote, these kind of garbage tabloid articles, no one surrendered, and 40 commando was teamed with U.S. Marine units, are the kind of thing that threatens future U.S.-U.K. exercises, which are beneficial for both sides. They also mistake the purpose of these exercises. The exercise was conducted in a free play environment designed to stress commanders, derive learning points, and allow participants to improve their ability to conduct offensive and defensive operations and to adapt to changes on the battlefield. And I understand before that, because I've participated in some of these mass exercises, but I, and I understand that sometimes, you know, you will try shit and it won't work. And so you're like, okay, well that didn't work. Let's go back to drawing board, which could be construed as you getting dominated. It's it, they just, again, I kind of swallowed the tail for what it was at face value, which I regret. So lesson learned by me again. See guys, I'm still learning the lessons. Now let us go to the, well, this to me should be the most fucking important story in the media. And, and, and of course, the media is barely talking about it. And this is the $450,000 payments for the illegal immigrants who are separated at the border. Fucking absolutely ridiculous. And according to New York, and New York Times actually wrote this article, President Biden on Wednesday said migrants separated from family members at the border would not receive hundreds of thousands of dollars for the damage inflicted by the Trump-era policy, rejecting an option for monetary compensation that had been floated in negotiations with lawyers representing the families. So representatives of the migrant families and government officials had discussed giving families $450,000 each effect who for each member affected by Trump's uh, zero tolerance policy. But when asked on Wednesday about compensating the migrants, Biden denied that option was on the table. And I have the clip right here, which I might as well go play right now. Let's go to the tape of Sleepy Joe. Let's go. As you're leaving for your overseas trip, there were reports that were surfacing that your administration is planning to pay illegal immigrants who are separated from their families at the border up to $450,000 each, possibly a million dollars per family. Do you think that that might incentivize more people to come over illegally? <laughs> yeah. You guys keep sending that garbage out. Yeah. But it's not so, true. So this is a garbage report. Yeah. Okay. So $450,000 $450, per person. Is that what you're saying? That was separated from a family member at the border under, under the last administration. That's not going to happen. Okay, and then just a follow-up, because you mentioned Trump a couple times. When you went to try to help Terry McAuliffe... Okay, let me just stop him there, because he goes into the race. So, he said, it's a garbage report. It's not going to happen. Well, it's pretty funny, because right after he made that comment, the American Civil Liberties Union chimed in. They're negotiating on behalf of the families. And he said, the spokesman for the ACLU... If he follows through on what he said, the president is abandoning a core campaign promise to do justice for the thousands of separated families. Hey, fuck you, dude. Justice? That justice isn't 450 grand each. That could be like $2 million. And then Romero acknowledged that Biden may have been caught off guard and may not have been aware of the details of ongoing negotiations with the Justice Department. So see what's happening here? He's not. He's been cut out entirely. Everybody's on the same side of the negotiating table. You've got 
the illegal immigrants, you've got their advocates at the ACLU, and you've got all the far leftist lawyers at the Department of Justice. And they're all just sitting around going, and there's nobody advocating for the taxpayer at all. They're all in agreement. Oh, yeah, we got to give them millions of dollars. Let's just settle on an amount. And by the way, I listened to Congressman Tom McClintock, who's on the, the he's on an intelligence subcommittee. And he said, first of all, there's no crime that was committed. This was a legal policy. And as he pointed out, if you're drunk driving with a child in the back of the car, what the fuck do you think happens? You go to jail. The child is taken into protective custody. Crossing the border in between ports of entry is a crime. So what do you do? You take, you arrest the adult and you separate the child. That was the policy and it was a legal policy until Trump voluntarily stopped doing it. So there's no crime committed here. And the ACLU's argument is that, well, we should just give them this money as a settlement. And I'm like, no, fuck you. Go to court. I want this to be fought in court. There is no way. You can give this money. What about you guys who got locked down during the pandemic? You got 1200 bucks. You should have crossed the border with your kid. <laughs> You'd be getting a million bucks right there. Remember, it's for each person. Absolutely fucking outrageous. And by the way, it sounds like he's a complete liar because they talked to this stupid uh, press spokes chick. That was uh, Kat Karine Jean-Pierre. It wasn't stupid uh, Jen Psaki. It was her deputy. And they asked her about this. She was asked about Biden's comments about how it was garbage. And she said Biden was referring to the $450,000 settlement amount when he called the report garbage, but she would not elaborate on the amount that could be in the payoffs. And uh, do I have... I don't have that clip, unfortunately. I thought I did. But... She said that settlements were happening, and she also said that, quote, the president is perfectly comfortable with the Department of Justice settling with the individuals and families who are currently in litigation, end quote. No, 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 no. Fuck that. Litigate it. Litigate it. Send these ACLU communists to court, and you fight this in court. They shouldn't get a dime. You broke the law. You brought your child illegally to a foreign country, something that you and any American would never do, and you were specifically not told, told not to come on top of that, and you did it anyway. So now I have zero sympathy for that. Uh, and as, here's a, I do have a clip, though, of stupid DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Remember, Biden said this is a garbage report. Let's listen and to this. And a Fox News reporter um, asked him about reports of possible payments, compensatory payments, up to $450,000 has been the report for separated parents. I, I got the impression the president had not heard about these reports before. Yeah, he was napping. Um, but he um, said that's not going to happen, even though, of course, he's the one who had said during the campaign that the separation of these families was shameful and intolerable and not who we are. So, so fucking what? How should the government navigate this? I understand that compensation is not DHS's role, but so, still. So there are two, there are two different um, uh, efforts. Uh, and the president has 
um, adhered with orthodoxy to the words of the past in terms of it's shameful and it's not who we are. Um, the, the, the figures of compensation that is being handled by the Department of Justice is in the context of the Federal Tort Claims Act cases. Oh, God, he's put, he's put me to fucking sleep. You get the picture. Basically, Biden was full of shit. Yeah, it is going to happen. And now it's just a matter of how much it's going to be. This was originally put out by the Wall Street Journal, this story about the 450000 And as a matter of fact, CNN, even CNN fact-checked him over this. Let's was to the this. Wall Street Journal report that, that Peter Ducey was asking about, is, is it garbage or not? Jake, this is one of these cases where the president is quite imprecise and leaves it to his staff and us to be the precise ones. So, so here are the true facts. The Wall Street Journal was correct not reporting garbage when it reported that the Biden administration is in discussions to settle lawsuits brought on behalf of families affected by the family separation policy. And the Wall Street Journal was correct in reporting that these settlement discussions include talks of possible financial compensation. In fact, White House Deputy Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said today at the White House brief that President Biden is comfortable with financial compensation. Uh, yeah, well. yeah, let me just stop him there. That's a stupid Jake Tapper and his dopey fact checker guy. But yeah, there, it's, 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 that's, that should be the main story. He should be shouted at about that. And again, if I was, you notice in all this, nobody said, well, what law was broken by the administration when they did this? So why should they be, if, if this was an illegal act that requires compensation, what was illegal exactly? Because it wasn't illegal. You might think it's immoral, but it wasn't illegal. And uh, apparently now, as of yesterday, now the lawyers, the poor lawyers negotiating payments from the mi- for the migrant families say Joe Biden's remarks at a press conference may have hurt their prospects for their clients receiving large payouts. Oh, that's fucking too bad, isn't it? Yeah. And... I just want to, uh, yeah, uh, what did they say here? The Trump administration did not have a system in place to quickly reunite the families that separated. Uh, in many cases, the parents were deported back to their home countries while their children remained in the U.S. Well, that was part of the plan, though. Get the kid to the U.S., you go back home, the kid's with the relative, and then the kid can send for you later. <laughs> Do they not know what chain migration is? That's how it works. Yep. Boy, it must be nice to be an illegal illegal immigrant. Honestly, you get over here, you get free lawyers, free health care, free room and board, free transportation, whatever city you want to go to. And now on top of that, they're going to give you hundreds of thousands of dollars. God, I mean, separate me and my kid for a few days. I'm begging you, please. All right, let's go to uh, some other stuff here because honestly, <laughs> I can't even take it anymore. Let's go to this one. This is just a random clip. So this is like some kind of... So Microsoft, I think, has some kind of podcast or video show. And apparently the new thing is now, it's not good enough just to announce your name. It's not good enough just to announce your pronouns. You must also state your ethnicity, hairstyle, and kind of what you're wearing. That's right. Let's uh, listen to this here. Hello, everyone. I'm a Caucasian woman with long blonde hair, and I go by she, her. I'm a product marketing lead here at Microsoft and co-host of the podcast Security Unlocked with this guy. Yes, that would be me. Hello, everyone. I'm Nick Fillingham. I'm a Caucasian man with glasses and a beard. I go by he, him, and I'm a security evangelist here at Microsoft. (laughs) We are so excited to be with... 
Oh, come on, man. How long are we going to do? The thing is, you know what kills me? Who is ma Nobody's making people do this. They just decide in their bubble, like, oh, this is this is what we have to do now. And then they all do it, and then it's like a vicious cycle where some companies like, oh, well, Microsoft's doing it. Now we have to do it. But when you peel back the onion layer, it's like, well, but who made you do this? And nobody is. Uh, oh, well, here's another clip of the same. Let's My listen. name is Allison Wines. I'm a senior program manager in our developer tools division. I'm an Asian white female with dark brown hair wearing a red sleeveless top. And I'm Seth Juarez, program manager in the AI platform group. I'm a tall Hispanic male wearing a blue shirt, khaki pants. Today we kick off two days of learning more <laughs> about the latest solutions, exploring how these key innovations can empower... Oh, very good. Okay, very good. And I yes, I understand. It's for obviously for people who are visually impaired, but it, it, how, how much longer are we going to do this? Come on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how about a few... Else, I, I want to just do a few fun clips just because I'm so depressed about everything else. Um, I'm just going through them here. Uh, oh, here's a here's in Virginia. Apparently, a GOP voter uh, screamed the N word. Oh, let's listen to this. Throw it throw it about as far as I can. It's assault. S sir, 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 we're all it's... here to exercise our democratic. Now you're here to vote us into communism. Fucking wanna be nigger. There he, he walks off. Yeah, there you go. Come on. Can't do that, bro. Sound like he was talking to a white guy, too. Um, here was a school in, I don't know exactly. Where's Mar Upper Marion? I'm not sure where that is. But they were offering a special flight camp program for kids to learn about STEM, but there's a catch at the end. Let's play the promo clip they put out. It shows them, shows them flying cool drones and stuff, and... Uh, neat remote controlled stuff in this big warehouse room, like a highlight clip before they get into actually discussing the program. So I'm just watching them fly these drones around. The camera's mounted to them. It's very cool. Get the kids all excited. Okay, here we go. On Saturday, there is an exciting flight camp happening here at the middle school. Um, there are only 24 seats available, and it is first come, first serve. Uh, here's the thing. It is a Black Student Union sponsored event. So in order to participate, one, you must have a signed permission slip to claim your seat. Secondly, um, you must be Black, African-American, a person of color in order to participate. Please come to C209 <laughs> quick in what? order to get your permission slip. It is absolutely free for you to attend. Okay, two, two, um, qu two questions. First of all, this is an this is a middle school. A middle school has a black student union. I thought that was like for colleges. I never heard of that. And is that is that even legal? Can you exclude on the? I thought you could not exclude on the basis of race in this country. Like, and that was like they came right out and said it. Hey, whitey, you ain't welcome. I, I don't I don't even know anymore what's legal and illegal because it seems to me like there's a lot of illegal shit going on, but whatever. Let's move on to some new news here. Oh, let's talk about Dave Portnoy and Barstool Sports. Did you guys see this scandal that's going on? Barstool Sports, huge on the internet, if you didn't know. Huge social media presence. Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy last night hit back at allegations that he choked two young women during rough sex and filmed them without consent. 
Uh, Portnoy is 44 years old. He slammed a hit piece article describing the encounters and claimed he has a, quote, target on my back, end quote, because of his support for Donald Trump. He insisted that the sex with the women was 100% consensual in a 10-minute Twitter video posted in response to a story by Business Insider. A woman identified by the pseudonym Madison told Business Insider she was left, quote, screaming in pain, end quote, as she begged him to stop. She said she was 20 when she began messaging with him on Instagram. During their sexy (laughs) chat, this is a British tabloid, She is said to have told him she fantasized about being raped. And he allegedly replied, quote, you and I are going to get along so well, end quote. So he then flew her first class to his home in Nantucket, where she claims he made her feel, quote, like a human sex doll, end quote. The pair also then had intercourse. She said, it was so painful, I kept trying to get away, and he was like, stop running away from me. She said he just went harder after she protested. Uh, Okay, well, look, I know no means no, but first of all, you're you're hitting him up, and he responds, and you continue to do it. He says, hey, fly out to see me, you continue to do it. You tell him you fantasize about being raped, and then he's like, cool, come out to my place. What do you, have a little common sense, ladies. Jesus. Yep. So Portnoy is obviously an easy target because he's been accused of encouraging misogyny and racism. Uh, Yes. Uh, You know what? And if he did all that, yes, it's bad. You also have to have some fucking common sense as a female and not put yourself in positions where this kind of thing is obviously going to happen. I don't know. This is the worst thing we've taught our young women, in my opinion. The worst thing we've taught them is that, hey, no matter what, you can never, just never tell your daughter to do anything proactive because then that's seen as being a rape apologist. You have to be proactive, though, ladies. You have to maybe not walk down a dark alley drunk at 3 a.m. That's a bad idea. Getting in a car with men that you don't know drunk at 3 a.m. is a bad idea. Flying out to see a multimillionaire who's much older than you after you sexted him on Instagram and told him you liked rape fantasies, bad idea. Jeez, I'm the only one who's going to tell you young ladies this. Nobody else will. Nobody else will be like, well, you do whatever you want, and uh, if anything bad happens, well, it's 100% the dude's fault. Which, yes, he's extremely at fault, but it's also you being dumb. You put yourself in that position. If you did not go to Portnoy's house, he could never have done those things to you. But you wanted to go. You, you accepted all this, the, the ticket, the first class. You were blown away. You were flattered that a multimillionaire famous guy wanted to fly you out. It's okay. That's Most people would be. Okay, let's move on. Don't, Ladies, just please, just don't put yourself in position for bad things to happen to you. That's the main takeaway. Uh, let's go to Sweden. Man dies, kills another one in a fall at an ABBA tribute concert. <laughs> you, know the, you know how old the guy who fell was? 80 years old. He fell seven stories at a concert hall in Sweden. And the concert hadn't even started yet. This was an ABBA tribute concert to begin Tuesday night at, the, uh, at a venue near Stockholm. 
So the 80-year-old dude fell on a 60-year-old dude. So they both fucking died. They say if this was like suicide or anything? No, they don't really know. They said he either jumped or fell. They're not sure. They're not sure. But the concert, like I said, hadn't even started yet. Uh, let's give you guys an update. It's been a few weeks since we talked about this. So how about the Alec Baldwin shooting? Remember when I talked about this, my last podcast before I took the week off? And I was saying, hey, if live ammo did get mixed up with real ammo, that's a fucking shit show. Because live ammo should not be within 10 miles of that movie site if you're using actual guns. Yeah, well, gun handling on the set in Santa Fe, New Mexico, appeared alarmingly immature, lackadaisical, etc., according to sources close to the set who said they were horrified at times by what some of them saw. Uh, they, they have pictures, apparently, that shows 24-year-old armor Hannah Gutierrez-Reed and two other women standing in a circle with a pair of Old West rifles and a revolver. Well, they're pointing the barrels at each other and just all kinds of stupid shit. And they just said these were all super experienced, inexperienced people. Uh, one incident on the set that was not caught on camera involved someone handing Gutierrez Reed a revolver as she was sitting on the ground playing on her phone. She allegedly tucked it into her waistband without even looking up from her phone. There you go. Yeah, this is this is this is just a soup soup sandwich, dude. Her lawyers said that never in a million years did Hannah think that live rounds could have been in the dummy round box. Yeah, but apparently they took this gun, which, by the way, is not a prop gun. It's a real gun. They keep calling it a prop gun in the media reports. I don't know why they're doing that. It was a real Old West-style Colt gun. And I guess they were sh using that gun to go shoot rounds like in their off time in between. They were shooting live rounds. So that's how fucking live rounds got mixed up there. But their lawyers are insisting that some kind of conspiracy theory. Somebody put live rounds amidst the blanks. I don't believe that at all. So somebody is definitely going to be going to jail in this case. I would not be surprised if it's Alec Baldwin. Uh, let's go to the, where is this? This is the uh, UK. You know, it just goes, every time I think of like sexual assault and shit, I always think it's some like idiot, like savage, uneducated guy. How about this? Here's a cancer scientist who was arrested for sexually assaulting two women on a train in the UK. 50-year-old Dr. Prabhat Sakya trapped his victims by sitting next to him before touching their legs, hips, stomach, and breasts while growing a bulge in his crotch, <laughs> according to a court hearing on this. He started rubbing them, and uh, he kind of looked like he was pleasuring himself. Uh, that's no good. And they had actually, it, he, he actually started with one chick. She left, so he started going on another chick. Well, apparently that first woman called the cops. So Wilshire police officers had been deployed to the railway station trying to find this guy after his first victim reported the assault. So they saw him. They arrested him. Afterwards, he told officers, this is a great quote, quote, I wasn't masturbating. I was just flirting with her, end quote. I always love what they come up with there. 
let's go to Canada. Do you guys remember this story? The comedian who made fun of the young disabled singer? Yeah. He has won his free speech case in Canada's top court. It was only a 5-4 decision, which is scary. In a 5-4 split decision, the Supreme Court ruled that the jokes told about the singer, who was a child at the time, did not amount to discrimination. This goes back to 2010. This is Mike Ward, a popular comedian from Quebec. He's known for his comedy being kind of dark. He started telling jokes about the child singer named Jeremy Gabriel. And the stand-up act dealt with issues of race and religion. And these are what pisses people off. This used to be popular shit for stand-up to go, go after. Uh, in the segment question, Mr. Ward made jokes about Mr. Gabriel, who as a boy had become a minor celebrity and was known in the press as Petit Jeremy. Well, Gabriel has something called Treacher-Collins syndrome, a genetic disorder that can affect facial bone structure and in his case cause severe deafness. The jokes referenced Gabriel's disability and mocked his appearance. Of course, the BBC is too delicate to print the actual joke, which I do not have. Hold on, let me see if I quickly open a new tab, whether it comes up, whether it's also the BBC, so I'm not hopeful. Um, let's see if he actually, if they actually print the joke. The bit about Gabriel had Ward describing how he'd mistakenly believed the boy's condition was terminal and eventually tried to drown him. He also joked about Gabriel's appearance in relation to his disability. Okay, so they're not going to say it. Well, this show, he said this like regularly. The show was performed live over 200 times between 2010 and 2013, and it was like you know recorded and sold online, et cetera, et cetera. So they took him to court. They followed a human rights complaint before the Quebec Human Rights Tribunal. He appealed, and in a 2019 split decision, the Court of Appeal mostly upheld the tribunal's ruling, who had ruled against him. So then he appealed to the Supreme Court, said, hey, free speech shouldn't be up to a judge to decide what constitutes a joke on stage. Well, he did win. So, good. This is the, the fucking, uh, we either have free speech or we don't, you guys. That's it. I'm a big free speech guy, as you know. Let's talk about the rap game, the hip-hop game. How about Fetty Wap? You young, I know most of my audience is young people. You guys all know who Fetty Wap is. You probably have his crap music um, in your I, in your iPhone mix right now. Well, he was arrested in a drug dealing case. <laughs> Dude, he's a platinum selling music star. He was arrested for his role in a multi-million dollar drug ring that brought in more than 100 kilograms of heroin, fentanyl, and cocaine from the West Coast for sale in New Jersey and Long Island. Uh, he was ordered released from jail on $500,000 bond in his drug dealing case. He was born William Maxwell II. He did put up his Georgia home as part of his bail package, and also he must wear an ankle monitor. Man, he is keeping it real, dude. Keeping it real. Meanwhile, another celebrity news. Let's go back to the NFL. Talk about Henry Ruggs. Boy, this guy fucked his life completely, huh? This is the former, now former, Raiders wide receiver who... Decided to fucking take his car, drive 153 miles an hour, 
and he slammed into the back of a fucking car where some poor chick was in with her dog. The car exploded, blew up on impact. She burned alive. That's right. He killed a chick and her dog. This, oh, by the way, this is also at 3 a.m. He is now facing five total charges. Uh, he's been hit with DUI resulting in death, DUI resulting in substantially bodily harm. That's presumably for the injuries caused to his girlfriend, who was a passenger in his car at the time, and two reckless driving charges. Those are all felonies. Uh, he was also hit with a misdemeanor charge of possessing a gun under the influence of alcohol. If he's convicted of all counts, they say he's facing 46 years in prison. I'm sorry, it wasn't 153. It was 156 miles an hour. I don't even know how this guy lived. They said he was going 127 when he actually, at the moment of impact. God, and he was driving a uh, Corvette. Those Corvettes must be fucking good vehicles, man. You can go 153. You can go. You can ram into a car at going 127 miles an hour, and you're and you basically walk away from it. The Raiders promptly released him. He's only 22 years old. So not only is he going to prison, his career's over. Because you know it's he's not going to do 46 years, but you know he's going to do probably at least 20. So. By the time he gets out, he'll be too old to play. So now he's never going to play football again, and he's going to prison for decades probably. Yeah, I mean, it is Vegas, right? So they're pretty strict over there. Wow. <laughs> that's that's unbelievable. Uh, man's penis rots off after being bitten by a snake while sitting on a toilet in South Africa. <laughs> A Dutch man had to go undergo reconstructive surgery on his penis after a cobra bit him during a safari trip, causing it to rot. The 47-year-old suffered scrotal necrosis after the serpent, which was hiding in a toilet bowl, attacked. The medical journal Urology Case Reports describes this as the first case of, quote, snouted cobra and venomation of the genitals, end quote. The nearest trauma center was 220 miles away. His penis and scrotum were noted to be swollen, deep purple in color, and painful. He did receive multiple doses of a nonspecific snake venom antiserum, antibiotics. Uh, he required hemodialysis due to acute kidney injury. Ugh, God. And he had to undergo extensive reconstructive surgery because his Fucking dick just rotted away, dude. Oh, no, no, no. Listen to what a plastic surgeon had to do. The defect in the penile shaft was treated by superficial debridement and a vacuum-assisted closure pump. After nine days, the patient was repatriated to the Netherlands. Then, a plastic surgeon later performed, quote, a penile shaft debridement with extensive resection of dead, dead tissue extending into the corpus spongiosum to the fold of the preputium, end quote. You guys want to know what that is in plain English? It means they took a big fucking piece of some razors and sandpaper and scraped all the dead flesh off of his dick and it went like into the fold where his anus was. Uh, yeah, poor guy. 
dude, I'm never sitting on a toilet. I'm not, I don't want to leave the country anymore, I've decided. And I'm not going to one of these suspicious countries with lots of stinging animals like South Africa, Australia. You know what I mean? All these countries that have these. Just No, I'm just not doing it. Okay. Oh, you guys, yeah, I wanted to get to this one. You remember the Jetpack Man mystery over L.A.? Yeah, the pilots kept reporting seeing a Jetpack guy at like 5,000 feet, and nobody knew what the hell was going on. Yeah, and I speculated, like, dude, that's crazy. Well, they have a new theory about it. The authorities now say the Jetpack guy may, in fact, be more of a balloon guy. Uh, the FAA made its statement after NBC News 4 in Los Angeles on Monday published police video and photos showing what appeared to be an inflatable life-size or larger-than-life-size balloon in the shape of a person floating above the Beverly Hills and Holmby Hills areas. The station observed that it looked like Jack Skellington, the character from Tim Burton's 1993 film The Nightmare Before Christmas, those images were captured by an LAPD helicopter in November 2020, about two weeks after a second jetpack sighting and around Halloween. So the FBI said in a statement that it was investigating the reported sightings but had not been able to verify them. But they did say one working theory is that pilots might have seen balloons. Hmm. Oh, and I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It does very much look like a, uh, a person. Floating. <laughs> this is a great picture. You can see all the uh, like the downtown LA buildings in the background, and sure as shit, here's this like balloon shaped dude like floating above it. Oh, these pilots are thinking it's not a jet. It's obviously not a guy in a jetpack, though. Come on. Okay. Uh, what else? Oh, the stupid climate change thing is going on. Remember that happened, and uh, all the millionaires and billionaires flew their private jets to Scotland for the climate change conference where they pro promptly sat around wagging their finger at you who can't even afford gasoline anymore that you had to give up your cars. Yeah, they're doing that. Uh, stupid John Kerry says $100 billion a year in climate aid for developing nations is within reach. Yeah, that'll go right down a black hole. And they would like to have that aid by 2023. Um, this is at the... COP26, which is what it's called, Climate Summit in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, John Kerry, by the way, did take a private jet to do this. This is also, they don't, this is just like COVID. They don't care. They don't care about the environment. If they did, they'd be doing this by Zoom call, Skype call, like they forced all of you to do. They don't, they clearly do not give a shit about all, any of this. Uh, Ecuador said it will extend protections around the Galapagos Islands uh, at the climate conference. I did like that. Uh, the financial industry. They say they have $130 trillion to invest in efforts to tackle climate change. What? That is, that is nuts. They were committing to use that capital to hit zero net zero emissions targets in their investments by 2050. That group is called the United Nations Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero. It's made up of 450 banks, insurers, and asset managers in 45 countries, blah, 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 blah. All this, man, I, I don't, I, I'll keep saying it. I believe in climate change. 
That's but but climate change has been going on for billion literally billions of years. And we have what? At best 150 years of reliable records. And we all know because we all took geology and geography as kids that the sh- continents have shifted, that coastlines have risen and fallen, that there are deserts where lakes used to be and oceans where deserts used to be, and all that shit has happened for billions of years. But because the temperature's gone up, what, a fucking degree in 150 years, that's like, uh, that's going to like uh, kill the planet. I don't get it. I just, I don't get it. Jeff Bezos, uh, by the way, he vowed to pledge $2 billion to restore natural habitats. The headline the New York Times uses is, is funny, talking about Jeff Bezos. They, this is the headline they use. Jeff Bezos, who recently flew into space, vows to do more to protect the Earth. You know, a little F you to him. Uh, B, Jeff Bezos, it should be noted, also took a private jet to the conference as well. And anything else stupid in here? David Attenborough, the uh, famed BBC narrator, was at the summit as well. He's a naturalist. Remember, David Attenborough, who I love, he's 95 years old, right? He narrated all those Planet Earth documentaries from the BBC, and I loved all that. I love all that shit. But as a matter of fact, David Attenborough... He was able to fly around. All the, He flew in planes and helicopters to every corner of the planet. Way more than an average person. And it was funny. I have this clip here. Biden's uh, energy secretary is named Jennifer Granholm. And they asked her. She was like, this is during the whole climate conference. They're asking her, well, like, gas is out of control. So do you have any kind of plan to, like, address this? This is crisis. Your families are having to choose between, like, food and gas. What are you going to do about it? In Sturgis, Michigan, it is $2.89 a gallon. I guess that's better than in California. What is the grand home plan to increase oil production in America? That is hilarious. Would yeah, it's funny. I had the magic wand on this. As you know, of course, uh, oil is a global market. It is controlled by a cartel. That cartel is called OPEC. And they made a decision yesterday that they were not going to increase beyond what they were already planning. What about our fucking gas prices, idiot? We just remember when we used we were becoming the world leader in oil production. That's all gone away now because of these radical policies. And by the way, what did he say? Two eighty nine a gallon in Michigan? I would kill for two eighty nine a gallon. You know what the average price is in California for a gallon of gas now? It's like four sixty five. I saw it on the California Nevada border. I think I put this on my Instagram. Some fucking chiseler owner of a gas station, he had it was like five seventy per gallon. I was like, how do you even fucking sleep at night? All right, uh, let's see what else. The fourth day of the Rittenhouse, Kyle Rittenhouse trial is going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah, that's the kid who shot the uh, Antifa guys, and that was after the protests erupted of the killing of Jacob, not the killing, the shooting of Jacob Blake, who was later paralyzed. And that's the one where the police tried to stop me, reached into his car, he had a knife, they shot him, and then a protest broke out. And Kyle Rittenhouse decided to show up to protect stuff, he said, and there was a huge mob going around. 
and he ended up shooting a couple guys dead. So now he's on trial. And the fourth day of the trial was marked by graphic video of the shootings on August 25th, 2020. And the judge dismissed a juror, by the way. A juror in the trial made a joke about Jacob Blake to a sheriff's deputy as the juror was being escorted to his vehicle this week. You know what the joke was? Uh, The joke was, quote, Why did the Kenosha police shoot Jacob Blake seven times? Because they ran out of bullets, end quote. (laughs) The judge brought him into the courtroom and asked him if he had made the comments. He said that he had, but he declined the judge's request to repeat the remarks in open court. So they dismissed him. Uh, So, yeah, they're doing uh, basic testimony here. A key witness to the shooting of the first victim testified. That would be... Uh, this guy named McGinnis of the Daily Caller. Uh, that's a media outlet. And the prosecution did show these replays uh, quite a bit of the of the shooting. So I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Depends on the jury. What else here? Um, let's go to... Well, I talked about this. I, I alluded to this earlier. I'm starting around out of time. So I did want to talk... They had a long fucking article in the New York Times about California who wants to de-emphasize calculus. They also would like to reject the idea that some children are naturally gifted and they want to build math to make be more political and connected to social justice. Isn't that idiotic? Yes. If everything had gone to plan, California would have actually approved those guidelines this month for math and public schools. But a draft was open for public comment in February, and everybody's going crazy on it. And you know what this is all about? Closing racial and socionomic disparities in achievement that persist at every level of math education. And this is impossible. We live in this world now where people, if you're, this, if you're X amount of the population, then that X amount should be represented in everything. And it's just not possible. And it's just stupid. The draft suggested math should not be colorblind. And this is my problem. The draft rejects the idea of naturally gifted children. How stupid is that? That goes up against everything we see with our own eyes. I mean, guys, we watch watch the football on Sunday with naturally gifted athletes. We watch these tech companies. I'm reading on this. I'm looking at this iPad right now that was created by naturally gifted engineers and uh, UX designers businessmen they're gifted in those things everybody has natural my natural gift is to be the only man in the world who can sit here for two and a half hours straight no breaks no editing the mind is like a steel trap the impressions are spot on i never forget a face or name and all the while the ab veins are rippling down into my deeply bronzed legs in a color that's not found anywhere in nature that's my gift And everybody has their gift. And it's absurd to say there are no naturally gifted children. Some children, you can see when they're kids. Some children are athletically gifted. Some children are can build. You give them an erector set and they build a goddamn Empire State Building with it. They're gifted at that. Some kids are gifted at art. This is all painfully obvious. And you can see it with your own. We've seen it with our own eyes our whole lives. So to say kids aren't naturally gifted is fucking idiotic. 
Well, luckily, there's still some influence here. These draft guidelines are getting tons of criticism on here. And this kind of ties into this critical race theory thing. Remember, all these media outlets are saying critical race theory doesn't exist. Well, yet, yeah, yes, if you go to a school's website, it's, the subjects listed are not math, science, critical race theory. They don't come right out and say it. But let me hear, let me let you listen to this administrator for the largest school district in Indiana. Here's how he said it. I think he says it best. Let's listen to this. I'm the science coach and admin in the largest public school district in Indiana. I'm in dozens of classrooms a week, so I see exactly what we're teaching our students. When we tell you that schools aren't teaching critical race theory, that it's nowhere in our standards, that's misdirection. We don't have the quotes and theories as state standards per se. We do have critical race theory in how we teach. We tell our teachers to treat students differently based on color. We tell our students that every problem is a result of white men and that everything Western civilization built is racist. Capitalism as a tool of white supremacy. Those are straight out of Kimberly Crenshaw's main points, verbatim in critical race theory, the writings that formed the movement. This is in math, history, science, English, the arts, and it's not slowing down. If students of color have lower reading scores, it's because of inequity. Therefore, we take from the white students and give to the color students. That's Richard Delgado, straight out of CRT and introduction. All teaching is political, with reality and facts taking the back seat. That's Dr. Gloria Ladson-Billings, who outlined how she saw critical race theory flushed out in public schools in 1995. When schools tell you that we aren't teaching critical race theory, it means one thing. Go away and look into our affairs no further. It isn't about transparency. It isn't about cultural relevance. It's race essentialism painted to look like the district cares about students of color. We call it anti-racism, so you feel bad if you disagree with our segregationist pedagogy. It's taking advantage of kids' vulnerability and parents' inactivity. Okay, let, let me stop them there. You get the point. Basically, the bottom line is this is how stupid the media is. They're going to say, like, well, look, look, I'm looking at, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Springfield School District right now, and it doesn't say critical race theory anywhere on their website. Therefore, you're crazy for thinking it exists. But that's not what they do. They interweave it into their curriculum. They interweave into you have to look at each other. No more colorblindness. You must look at each other by race. Um, white kids should feel bad for the sins of their ancestors that had nothing to do with them. Uh, black kids, uh, you need to be handheld and treated differently because of the color of your skin. It's just fucking nonsense, dude. So, and it's not going away. This is becoming a huge thing. Okay, guys, quickly, I'm starting to run out of time. Uh, so quickly, this one is bad. Uh, the Federal Elections Commission has ruled that foreign donors can finance U.S. referendum campaigns. This opens the door to foreign spending on fights over high-profile policy ideas. Foreign nationals are barred from donating to U.S. political candidates or committees, but the FEC's, FEC's decision allowing them to support ballot committees provides another avenue for foreigners to directly influence U.S. voters in domestic policy. So, a major question stemming from that decision is whether foreign nationals are now permitted to spend money to influence the actual mechanisms of the U.S. democratic process, including congressional redistricting. The FEC's ruling did not address that question. However, that is luckily only concerns federal law. States remain free to outlaw foreign funding for state-registered ballot committees. Shockingly, only seven states already do that. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Maine, 
Governor Janet Mills, a Democrat, recently vetoed legislation to ban Fort ballot measure funding. That's just great, isn't it? Our elections are just so so screwed up. The, the House uh, passed that uh, dopey $1 trillion infrastructure bill. Yes, this is seen as like a huge uh, victory. It's just stupid. But uh, this is seen as a win by Biden, like any of you are going to be able to tell the difference. Uh, if you're wondering how people voted, uh, pretty much every Democrat did except for the farthest left of them, including AOC and Ilhan Omar. And they only they only voted no because they were allowed to vote no because guess what? 13 Republicans voted in favor of it. So congratulations. They wanted to get that freeway money apparently. A couple business stories. Zillow, the real estate website, said on Tuesday it would exit the business of rapidly buying and selling houses amid heavy losses and that it planned to let go about nearly 25% of its employees. Hmm. Yep. They have about 8,000 employees now. They said their division, known as Zillow Offers, which made instant offers on homes in a practice known as iBuying, became the source of huge losses. Zillow offers lost more than $420 million in the three months ending in September. That was roughly the same amount that the company had earned in total during the prior prior 12 months. They said that the unpredictability in forecasting home prices far exceeds what they anticipated. Shares of Zillow, it is a publicly traded company, fell more than 50% from a high of nearly $200 in February. Uh, other business news, Peloton. I know a lot of you guys like the Peloton, including my uh, girl D-Mac up there, who resented me sharing this story on Instagram. Peloton shares tumble 24% after it reports losses of $376 million in the wake of that infant death treadmill recall. You guys remember that? Yeah, a net loss of $376 million and a quarter. Not good. Not good. Uh, by the way, Airbnb profits surged 280% to $224 billion. That's profit, not revenue. And by the way, Uber lost, uh, let me see, two point, is that Uber lost $2.4 billion due to a drop in the value of its investment holdings and other ride-sharing apps. So there's some stock news for you. Oh, let's see. Let's go back to, where is it? This is uh, Essex, the UK. A man drilled five centimeters into his neighbor's brain after he complained about a late-night do-it-yourself project. <laughs> Eddie Achunche, 45, was sentenced to four and a half years after he attacked the unnamed victim and left him with horrific brain damage. Uh, when cops arrived on the scene, they found him with a drill in his hand. When they, when they looked into it, they found that the 45-year-old had been confronted by the victim who was unhappy with Enchuche because he had been drilling late the previous night, keeping near other nearby residents awake. Well, so he drilled him right in the fucking head. <laughs> Jesus, dude. Uh, let me see here. Do I have any other... Uh... Oh, this is good. 
Uh, Columbia University. You guys remember, the kids can't write, they can't read, and they can't do math, but uh, they did put out a video at Columbia University on why pronouns are important. This should be... I have not listened pronouns to this. It should be used fun. in place of a person's name. While many use she, her, and he, him pronouns, a growing number are using other pronouns, like they, them, ze, them, ze, here, per, pers, per? and am. Her? Some people are comfortable with multiple pronouns, regardless of their gender, identity, or expression. If someone's pronouns are she, they, that's just a quicker way to indicate that a person uses she, her, hers, and they, them, theirs pronouns. Others do not use pronouns for themselves and wish only to be referred to by their name. Why does it matter? You can't know a person's gender by just looking at them. Asking for and using correct pronouns is a way to respect those around you and create an inclusive environment. Hmm. This is especially important for queer and transgender people. If you slip up and use the wrong pronouns, simply correct your mistake and move on. <laughs> okay, I can't, this, goes, this goes on for a whole other minute and a half. I don't need their pronoun. I have one simple question. Do you enjoy penis? That's, the old, that's it. Then I know the patented BK gender system. You guys know it works. Uh, quickly, Florida man dies after attempt to break a Guinness World Record for skydiving. They were attempting to do a tandem jump from 41,000 feet over Memphis, Tennessee, when one of their feet got stuck as they headed out of the plane. Um, so... Uh, oh, okay. The oxygen system that is required to use that altitude malfunction. Suddenly, everyone began to experience hypoxia, and uh, people started to lose consciousness, and uh, one of them apparently never woke up, and they plunged to the ground dead. So, I'm not going to go into the details because I don't have time. A, what else? Um, an illegal immigrant who posed as a minor while crossing borders has been charged with murder in Florida. Yeri Noel Medina Uloa was busted in Jacksonville after killing Francisco Javier Cuellar, 46, a father of four who had taken in the immigrant who told authorities he was 17. He had duped border authorities in Texas several months earlier by claiming he was a teenager and even told his mom about the ruse. Hmm. He looks like uh, he got... <laughs> his. His mugshot. He looks like he's been dropped on his head a few times. And what's up with the old guy taking in this kid? That's weird. And then finally, you guys, I am completely out of time. So let us go to the big finish. It's a doozy. David Fuller, 67 years old, has been accused of murder and necrophilia. That's right. This is over in the UK in Kent. And he was a hospital electrician, and they're saying he had sex with at least 100 dead bodies in morgues as he remained free for 30 years after murdering two women. David Fuller finally admitted the murder of Wendy Nell and Carolyn Pierce in 1987 after the crime puzzled police for three decades. However, as detectives investigated the 67-year-old, they found this seemingly, seemingly harmless guy was in fact hiding a double life of a deviant abuser of corpses. No. The mother of one of his victims, who was 24, 
She died falling from a bridge. Spoke about how her daughter was violated at least three times while in the morgue at Tunbridge Wells Hospital. Uh, and, yeah, how did she find out? This is what I'm talking about. Well, Fuller apparently was able to gain entry to the mortuary and autopsy area thousands of times. He was identified as the prime suspect in the murders of the two women after a DNA breakthrough was found at the crime scenes. And then they investigated Fuller. He had a thousand extreme images of sexual abuse in his possession. And then what else? It emerged in court that he kept a detailed diary of his sexual assaults. By the way, he was married and living at home with his wife. How did they find out he was banging all the dead bodies, though? Uh, let me go down here. Oh, here we go. He had a cache of hard drives and pictures showing he had carried out acts of sexual penetration of female corpses. <laughs> he filmed himself. Oh, God. They found the diary detailing the age of 80 dead bodies he had had sex with. Again, filming himself, and police think there could have been hundreds more victims in his 30-year career. The youngest dead person he had sex with was just nine, and the oldest was 100. Oh, God, I can't. Guys, that's it. The dog is looking at me like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> I can't. That's it. That's all I got for you. 100-year-old corpse, bro. Dude, guys, please go to patreon.com. Support the podcast. BK Actual. Just type it in the search bar. It'll come right up. Really appreciate you guys that have. Um, and check out my Twitter, at Bravo Kilo Actual, and my Instagram, at BK Actual. And again, guys, go check out Winfield Watch Company. Uh, seriously, support a veteran-owned business. And I did mention earlier, I'll just mention his name again, uh, Zane's Handmade, Z-A-N-E. Uh, that's my former uh, soft guy who makes leather wallets and stuff. So go check him out as well. Support your local veteran entrepreneur, including this one by going to patreon.com search for BK actual guys. That is all I have for you. I'll see you next week.